Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and my employees and I want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support. With everything going on right now, your rest is so important. That's why we're having the biggest my pillow sale ever. Not only are my bed pillows as low as $19.98, but you can get the best body pillows ever. Regular $89.98, now only $29.98. Take your rest on the go with our Roll and Go Anywhere My Pillows for only $14.98. And we have our new couch and accent pillows. They aren't just for looks. They have MyPillow's patented adjustable fill that gives you that amazing MyPillow comfort. In this economy, you get the best gifts ever for the best prices ever. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you get deep discounts on body, couch, bolster pillows, and so much more, including my original bed pillows for as low as $19.98. Please order now while quantities last. It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply, refuse to show vaccine passports, refuse to wear a mask, refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. Broadcasting live and live to Patriot Control of America. You're listening to the Patriot Party Podcast. Now on the show, the chair is against the wall. The muskrat jumps over the berm. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. Now I grew up down an old dirt road in a town you wouldn't know My pops picked the place up for 1500 bucks back in 1964 My grandfather was a drinker back in the day he put him down But a war is known to change a man 
no whiskey's known to change a man. That's not me. I rarely drink from the bottle, but I'll smoke a little weed. I still live in the sticks where you wouldn't go. In a town of twelve hundred off an old dirt road, and the country boy is all I'll ever be. Now it's been. Twelve years since I sold my soul to the devil in LA. He said, sign your name here on the dotted line and your songs they all play. Set up shop on sunset. He put me up at the marquee. He said, you want to sell a million records, boy? You better listen to me. He said, change your style, whiten your smile. You could lose a couple of pounds. If you want to live this life, you better lose that wife. Do you need your friend around? I said, no, that's not me. Biggest things in life are your friends and family, and I like my jeans and my old t-shirts, and a couple extra pounds never really hurt. 'Cause a country boy is all I'll ever be. 'Cause Hank taught me just how to stay alive. Two flags fly above my land, and really sum up how I feel. One is the colors that fly high and proud, the red, the white, the blue. The other one's got a rattlesnake with a simple statement: "Me, don't tread on me," is what it says, and I'll take that to my grave. Because this is me. I'm proud to be American and strong in my belief. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. 'Cause I've never needed government to hold my hand. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. 'Cause my family's always fought and died to save this land. And a country boy is all I'll ever be. I love my country. I love my guns. I love my family. I love the way it is now. And anybody that tries to change it has 
come through me. That should be all of our attitudes. Is this is America, and the country boy is good enough for me, son. Fuckers, to another edition of True Spiracy. This is True Spiracy, what, number 28? 30, 34. 34. Holy 34. shit. You're way behind. Oh, way behind. Seriously. Woo. Woo. Wow. Woo. Anywho. Okay. Anywho. Wow. This is a good day. This is a really good weekend. Um, Liana, welcome over there in the pilt side. Uh, TDR, welcome. And Linz, how are you? How are you, madame? So, a uh, little late following, a little early for the day. It you is know, early. New. Well, it is, because uh, we're waiting on our, our guest requested that we start earlier because he's in Poland, um, and he confirmed that he got the email. Like, like We're just waiting on him. About an hour ago. So, anyway, um, to come in, really so. quick, something that oh, I thought good. would be really cool, since you guys are here, and I know a lot of you have been bugging us to the umpteenth extent about it, and now I can proudly state that... Uh, my begging and my pleading and my pecking at my wife has finally paid off. And she proudly shared with me yesterday all of her hard work that she spent all day doing. And uh, it's all for you now. Uh, check this out. Literally. Uh, and he bitched about it all day. We ha we have our own. He was like, I'm home and you've been behind the computer for eight hours. Like, what's going on? We've, we have so, our own merch site now. We do. Um, we have our own website. So you guys can go ch check this yeah. out. All right. Um, it is the Patriot Party Podcast. It's at patriotpartypod.com, which links you to our, our Shopify yep. spike, uh, site, but patriotpartypod.com. And um, there you will find all of our products, all the stuff yeah. you want to get merch-wise, shirts in several different colors, good shirts, your um, mid-grade. I put, I, everything's, everything is a premium shirt, okay? okay. Um, and uh, we have both the old logo so the original, the Patriot Party of the United States of America, um, available. And then we have, uh, the, obviously the new official logo available in shirts, hoodies, stickers, hats, um, beanies. I'm, I think shit we got, I got t-shirts, mugs, had, water yesterday. bottles, uh, teddy bears, ornament, stickers, yes. ornaments, yeah. bags, you name it. If you can get it, you're going to uh, see it on the, here. The bag has uh, cannabis and combat on the backside. Yeah. Um, so I was going to get into some of that real quick. We're going to yep. get into like, um, so this is, here's the bag. This is obviously with the new logo. Yeah. And uh, once I figure out what the fuck I'm doing here, of course, why, <laughs> why would it do that? There we go. Yeah. So, and then the next on the back side of the bag, um, obviously we put the cannabis and combat logo. Yep. What the fuck is going on with this thing? Get the fuck out of here, you piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, you save 20% uh, off of your first order with the promo code DEFIANT. Oh, yeah. My favorite is the coffee cup. How about a nice hot cup of shut the fuck up? He he uh, he designed that one. And yep. there's the mug with our logo on the front. Oh, uh, we got a lot of, actually got a lot of cool shit on here. There's a lot of different things. Like, uh, this is, uh, Ma mix, apparently mixed sayings. So, uh, a walking colostomy bag of fuck ups. Yep. And that has the, uh, that has the logo on the back. And there's the logo on the back. Yep. So the Mictionary is coming in good use, Tara. Um, so we'll have that. We also have, uh, what's this one? 
Uh, I went to Hungary and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Yep, there you go. <laughs> and then on the back side, you it, got it the, has the logo. You have again. our logo. And yeah. we're going to come up with more. Yep. We're just, it's this just is the start. start. Yeah. This is just uh, getting it kicked off. So uh, check it out. Um, and actually, if you go go back to the homepage, so I get all the merchandise. So keep scrolling down. So prepare the future. And I haven't put everyone on here yet, but um, my pillow, fresh mouth, my Patriot supply. So at the bottom, it says, you know, uh, click here to get your fresh mouth toothpaste today. That brings you right to our affiliate link, et cetera. Um, Dr. Kirk. So, you know, my Patriot supply series yep. CBD, and it gives you right. It gives you automatically the link with our discount code already well, applied. Some of the things, you have to some of the things you have in, to put the promo code in, but it, but it will it tell you right in the directions right here, yeah. what to do, where you have to put in promos and blah, 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 blah. Yep. There's a fanny pack. There's shit for the dogs. There's yep. so much shit folks. Go check it out. And then I, here, um, I, the very front, the very top of the page. So, you know, you can click the shop all and that brings down to the merchandise, but here is links to all of our different channels. And now I have to add, uh, I started us an Odyssey channel. So today is our first live stream on Odyssey. Oh, I so, don't even know what Odyssey is. I know, but because uh, Cannabis in Combat came off Roku, I think it expired. And then no, Phil's not been in his computer to check the email. So we've got to work on getting the, the Roku back. But until then, we had an open slot. So um, I figured we'd give Roku a shot. I figured we'd just go out and make our own Roku channel. Well, that's fine. But um, for now, I started an Odyssey channel. Odyssey channel is free. Roku, you have to pay for you know, um, plus we're going to be on the Patriot podcast network on Roku as well. So anyway, I got um, so, but you can, you but know, what I'd like to do is pull over Justin's shows and put all of Justin's shows, keep all of the Roku channel. Cause right now you can't even get into his channel anymore. They shut his whole channel down. I, I want to open that channel back up, put it under ours. So that way you can always go and find his stuff. Yep. No matter what, whether you're on Roku, on your fucking computer, it doesn't matter. Yep. You can always go find his shit. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that's why I want to get Roku back up. No, I, I understand that entirely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. But we are dependent on other people mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. things to make mm -hmm. that happen. So in the meantime, we're, we're broadcasting to Odyssey right now. And um, I'm going to ask StreamYard if they can open up more channels for us. So anyway, you can just click on those. Go go down a little bit. Click on those. So like you want to watch on Rumble. You, it's a drop down. So you, you click on that, you drop, drop it down and Hey, look, there's the link directly to the rumble channel and you click on that and it brings it right up. Twitch. Um, yep. D live cloud hub, red pill, red pills TV. And then, um, if you to listen on the, to the audio version, we put it out Podbean. the next morning. Uh, you can link to everything through Podbean. So. Or Apple Podcasts. I mean, you can find yep. everything. We're, we pretty much put it everywhere. So anyway, this is this is where you can go now or you can send people if you want people to come by and check us out or you want to pick up some merch, you want to send some merch. There's kid sizes. There's everything. You guys can buy them for your nephews, your nieces, your uncles, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's a ton, ton of stuff in here. She was making it all day yesterday. So um we got everything for even women too. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, so uh, men's, women's, and kids. And uh, yeah. That sucks, TDR. I'm sorry. All right. Um, Damn. Yeah, no kidding. Holy shit. So yeah, so, uh, so my first Tanzania website, Shopify pretty much did it all. But yeah. Um, and uh yeah we and it accepts all uh credit cards and then amazon pay and um shopify has a pay thing too so um where you can like break it up into 
don't know. And you can even contact us from this too. There's a a space on here to contact. So you can put your name, your email address. If you're going to put your name, I put your screen name so I know who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. You can put a phone number if you want. You don't have to. Um, All of that's, you know, completely objective to you. So. Yep. So, yeah. So. Check it out. When you have, when you have time, check it out. Go on. um, Uh, PatriotPartyPod.com. Yep. So, Anthony Fauci. Yep. The real one, number two. Number dose. Dose for the win. Anybody see the scores? What's going on in the football? No one cares. Nobody cares, of course. Why would you care? I don't blame you. Here we go. So, Anthony Fauci, number two. Here we go. The real Anthony Fauci. No more from us. Hi, I'm Jeff Hayes. Thank you so much for joining us to see this important film. I think it's Bobby's best book and most important book, and it's certainly my most important film. May I ask you a favor? If you like it, will you please share this after you see the film? It really is the only way that we'll get this out there. It's free for 10 days, and we're asking you to join us by sharing. Thank you for joining us in this mission. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. The dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it. This book is a product of my own struggle to understand how the idealistic institutions our country built to safeguard both public health and democracy suddenly turned against our citizens and our values with such violence. I am a lifelong Democrat whose family has had 80 years of deep engagement with America's public health bureaucracy and long friendships with key federal regulators, including Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, and Robert Gallo. Members of my family wrote many of the statutes under which these men govern. They nurtured the growth of equitable and effective public health policies and defended that regulatory bulwark against ferocious attacks funded by industry. I built my own alliances with these individuals and their agencies during my years of environmental and public health advocacy. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. But I also watched how the industry, supposedly being regulated, used its indentured servants on Capitol Hill and its financial clout to systematically hollow out those agencies beginning in the 1980s, disabling their regulatory function and transforming them into sock puppets with the very industry Congress charged them with regulating. I explore the carefully planned militarization and monetization of medicine that has left American health ailing and our democracy shattered. I chronicle the troubling role of the dangerously concentrated mainstream media. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Big tech robber parents, the military and intelligence communities, and their deep historical alliance with Big Pharma and the public health agencies. 
The disturbing story that unfolds here has never been told, and many in power have worked hard to prevent the public from learning it. The principal character is Anthony Fauci. Today, I will be your master of ceremonies for Event 201. Today's scenario is going to simulate meetings of a multi-stakeholder group called the Pandemic Emergency Board. This board has been urgently convened by the World Economic Forum. In October of 2019, you have a tabletop simulation that is sponsored by who? The funders, the Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, Johns Hopkins School for Security, which is funded by NIH and Gates. The major hosts include not only Gates, but also Avril Haynes, who's the former deputy director of the CIA. So what is the CIA doing hosting a, uh, a, a simulation on public health? The CIA is not a public health agency. It is an intelligence agency. It does not do public health. The line between disinformation and misinformation is not always an easy one to find. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be trying to um, control communication, but rather flood the zone. I certainly seen the value of communicating constantly on these issues so as to continue to to deal with uh, you know sort of the vacuum that can be created in this circumstance all of the disinformation that will be put out it's going to be important to actually have a response to those questions there are also uh, intelligence sources identifying multiple foreign disinformation campaigns governments need to be willing to do things that are out of their historical perspective or for the most part, it's it's really a, a war footing that we need to be on. It can happen quickly. A Marshall-type plan, uh, you know, I don't mean to say that exactly, but a Marshall plan that can go into effect uh, can stimulate a change very quickly. The distrust relates to the health system more generally. A step up from the part of the government on enforcement actions against fake news. I think a couple of things we have to consider are, even before this began, the anti-vaccine movement was very strong, and this is something specifically through social media that has spread. So as we move forward, obviously trust in pharmaceuticals and government is very important at this moment. The simulation is a simulation of a coronavirus that has escaped and ends up killing 60 million people around the planet. The Chinese government knew of the escape of the virus by September 12, 2019. Curiously, who is there is George Gao, who is the head of the Chinese CDC. At that time, George Gao almost certainly knew the coronavirus was circulating. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. The sickest required intensive care. Many died. It's spreading rapidly throughout local communities. International travel has turned local epidemics into a pandemic spanning the globe. There are now more than 30,000 reported cases. Experts warn this may be just the beginning of a global problem. More than half of the recognized cases have required hospital care, creating a huge strain on healthcare systems. 
the fatality rate is about 10%. Because it appears the virus is readily transmitted through the air from person to person, essentially all people are susceptible. Experts agree unless it is quickly controlled, it could lead to a severe pandemic, an outbreak that circles the globe and affects people everywhere. Two to four times more lethal than the 1918 influenza pandemic, the worst pandemic on record. Even so, some people only exhibit mild flu-like symptoms, not requiring treatment in a hospital. Alarmingly, those people are able to walk around and spread the virus, not realizing they are doing so. Even worse, international travelers have been arriving at their destinations symptom-free, but within a matter of hours, becoming ill. Travel-related cases have blossomed into outbreaks in a number of locations and have quickly grown faster than health authorities could respond and contain them. I'm joined by immunologist Dr. Yvonne Bello and Dr. Raya Blakey, an epidemiologist, both highly respected in their fields. Researchers are working on a vaccine. Even if we discover a good vaccine candidate, we're starting from scratch and it takes time to test safety and efficacy. Typically years. We simply cannot rely on these old timelines and processes. With enough money and political will, anything is possible. Our U.S. affiliate has just released polling results on public expectations for a vaccine. A majority of Americans expect a vaccine to be available within two months, and 65% of those polled are eager to take the vaccine, even if it's experimental. In related news, a significant demand for personal protective equipment like N95 masks and gloves are on the rise due to the pandemic. However, globally, hospitals are running low. Additionally, other critical medical supplies such as saline and antibiotics are dwindling. Countries and companies are reportedly stockpiling supplies, disrupting healthcare supply chains, causing dangerous shortages in many parts of the world. What you just witnessed were highlights from Event 201. This pandemic simulation exercise of the coronavirus took place about six weeks before the first illness from the coronavirus was actually reported in Wuhan, China. The simulation also includes news reports, which were fabricated just for this exercise. A SARS-like virus, which has infected hundreds in China, has now reached the United States. Some of the city's biggest employers ordering workers to stay home. We have already started at the NIH and with many of our collaborators on the developing of a vaccine. I wasn't necessarily surprised when um, we started to see him in the national limelight. At the beginning of the pandemic, we really didn't know what it was going to be like and how to manage it and how infectious the, the virus was. And therefore, a lockdown made sense just to buy a little time figure out what we should do, what policies we should make, what things needed to be mobilized in order to reduce risk of the infection and actually keep the epidemic as, as limited as possible. In comes Tony Fauci, the savior of the West, uh, promoting these actions, lockdowns, masking, etc. I think many of my fellow Democrats see him as this kind of, particularly during the early COVID pandemic, as this kind of avuncular um, soothing figure who was a reassuring counterbalance to Donald Trump's anti-science 
narcissistic you know, bombast. See if there's any way that you can apply light and heat to cure. But I'm like a person that has a good, you know what. There was tremendous fear in our country that was orchestrated and generated by the press and by the medical cartel. When people get fearful, their capacity for critical thinking gets disabled. And the, you know, it's just a human inclination to look for reassurance and leadership from leadership authorities. This one that we looked up to in a time where we needed answers, in a time he has a cool, calm, you know, calmness to him, but very factual. It's called the Fauci effect. I mean, it's nice, but in an era of the normalization of untruths and lies, it's what I symbolize. Consistency for integrity, for truth. My impression from him, because I had already been dealing with him for 17 years, and I had a, a skepticism about him because I knew that he was the architect of agency capture within the public health agencies. With the vaccine, as I use it, I say, you know, help is on the way. It certainly is. But the fact that help is on the way should spur us even more to double down on some of the public health measures, the physical distancing, the universal wearing of masking, the staying away from crowds throughout the country. But we all thought we were going to die that this thing was going to sweep through and devastate all of us, which became weaponized for lockdowns. It became weaponized as a rationale for massive infusion of fiat currency into the economy, for causing people to no longer be able to go to work, etc., etc. It became apparent after a while that the lockdowns are counterproductive. And in many ways, COVID restrictions were worse than COVID itself. And so we kept getting news updates. Well, the swimming pool is now closed down. The gym is now closed down. They use the, the, the sphere to create the justifications for implementation of all these abrogations of personal liberties and civil rights, such as shutting down businesses and causing to get bankrupt. Tech companies have benefited massively from pandemic policies that make no medical sense such as lockdowns, such as not letting us shop in person, not letting us be educated in person, locking kids indoors. Amazon is up 20% net revenue in the last two years. Google is up 20 to 25% net revenue. Microsoft is up 20, 25% net revenue. Nintendo is up. All of them crafted or influenced lockdown policies that killed off human assembly, human commerce, human worship, human culture. And, and drove it all online. That it may interest you to know, you know, that all the most rigorous scientific studies have found that masks don't prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. Masks have essentially no benefit. N95 was developed to protect construction workers from dust. Dust particles are removed by those 95% effectively. Dust particles are thousands of times larger than COVID viruses, SARS-CoV-2, and, and it's like putting ping pong balls through a chain link fence. 95% of the time, they're just going to go straight through. Dr. Fauci started out by saying correctly that masks don't do any good against respiratory viruses. He said it on 60 Minutes in, in I think it was March of 2020. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. 
when you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And in saying that, for once, he was actually reflecting the scientific consensus, right? But then a couple months later, he completely flipped. Uh, the head of the Chinese CDC, George Gao, having said suddenly, everybody's got to wear a mask, right? Everybody in the West has got to wear a mask as in China. Then Dr. Fauci uh, shifted. Masks are protective. If you look at, at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The Academy of Pediatric actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is, is that right? I mean... <laughs> Then a couple months later, the World Health Organization shifted because they too had said correctly that masks don't do anything against respiratory viruses. But then they flipped. A dispute over a mask led to a woman being tased by a cop at a middle school game. Of course, no, it should have never come to this. What is your right to refuse? And what is the law enforcement's ability to enforce? You have to have a mask on. Shoot me, people. No. going to shoot me for trying not to breathe. Cool. Come, cool. On, Come on, dude. And there is Barack Obama dancing mm -hmm. uh, unmasked. He's been talking about the need to get a vaccine and all the other stuff. I don't think he wants to break from the CDC. What's interesting is I haven't heard the CDC commenting about this yet. Masks are pretty magical, and they don't have much downside. People with masks, they give up their individuality. They give up rights as free human beings. You become really, it's the beginning of slavery. African-American slaves in America, they, many of them, they wore masks. I have called the masks to be the symbolic equivalent of the yellow star that I had to wear. It's a sign that you are not free, that you are lesser. All of this is happening only because people obey. I think masking really was a symbolic uh, signal, not only of obedience, but also that we all should maintain constant fear and that we needed to stay away from each other, from relationships and community. During my childhood, there were duck and cover Jamels. Duck and cover, just as you do in your school. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. You will know when it comes. We hope it never comes, but we must get ready. We were, we were constantly drilled in school about what would happen when the Russians attacked us with nuclear weapons. We had to remove sharps from the table. We had to put our, our head on the desk when we heard the, the alarm sounding. If you were paranoid, you might feel that the purpose of that drill was to maintain this level of, of what Bob McNamara later called mass psychosis, where you keep an entire population in fear by constantly reminding them that their lives are under attack. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, disturbed me about the masking, what it was it was very reminiscent of that. If one wears a mask, 
or one stays in a tiny room and fills up the room with virus and continues to rebreathe the virus, there is a real chance that one could make a mild illness more severe. It's called re-inoculation. We had gotten a call from Presbyterian Village saying one of the workers contracted COVID. And this was the characteristic pattern in 2020. Remember, the senior citizens in nursing homes, they weren't going out and getting COVID. They were sitting ducks. They were already locked down. And in fact, a worker gave COVID to my dad. We were hearing stories of patients going in the hospital, being locked down in isolation, never seeing their loved ones again, and then dying in the hospital alone. We don't get to eat dinner with them. We don't get to sit with holidays for them. Memorial Day, Father's Day, Mother's Day. When COVID sort of broke out across the world, we started trying to learn as much as we could about the disease. You know, we saw it break out in, uh, you know, in Wuhan and then Lombardy in Italy and then Seattle and New York. I know someone in every ICU in New York City. And um, it became pretty clear what their main sort of uh, mechanisms of disease were. They were hyperinflamed and they were clotting to a degree I've never seen before. Nurses were drawing blood. It was clotting in the syringe and it was clear they needed blood thinners. When SARS-CoV-2 came to the U.S., predominantly in New York City, uh, patients were getting really sick. They were being admitted to the ICU. They were put on ventilators. And we know the mortality at that time, if you were ventilated in an ICU in New York, was close to 90%. I was pointing out that I was seeing unprecedented mortality rates and we had to do something. But the, the general conservatism of medicine uh, was that no, because you might harm someone. It's hard to harm someone when they're dying at rates we've never seen them. They were clearly dying of undertreatment. Because of my efforts, were being blocked and it was clear that I was not welcome, I resigned. What I did with my dad ultimately became the foundational principles of the McCullough Protocols. And the first thing I said is, open the windows. And why? Because we wanted ventilation. We wanted to reduce the viral density in the aerosol of the room. Fresh air was applied for centuries for other respiratory illnesses. Step two. The uh, Indian Medical Society for doctors had already mandated hydroxychloroquine as a standard of care once a week prophylaxis. Zinc 50 milligrams a day had a supportive role. Vitamin D 5,000 international units. Vitamin C 3,000 milligrams a day. Quercetin 500 milligrams twice a day. By July of 2020, there had been nine studies of clinical trials, not randomized of hydroxychloroquine, some by itself, some used with azithromycin and zinc and, and so on. Every one of those studies showed benefit. The totality of those studies, all analyzed together, showed about a 50% reduced risk of hospitalization and a 75% reduced risk of mortality. Now these studies are all studies of outpatients, people who get COVID and are treated within the first five or six days, or the started treatment within the first five or six days. It was a very clear set of data, about as clear as one could ever hope to get. And yet, Fauci's in the Oval Office saying this is a game changer. And next thing you know, everybody in the country is starting to give it. Supplies are starting to fill hospitals and they're all giving it. That the data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut, significant 
positive effect in diminishing the time to recovery. This will be the standard of care. When I was looking at this data with our team the other night, it was reminiscent of 34 years ago in 1986 when we were struggling for drugs for HIV. And we did the first randomized placebo-controlled trial with AZT, which turned out to give an effect that was modest. But that was not the end game, because building on that every year after, we did better and better. There's a novel pathogen, and Fauciism always dictates that for some strange reason, you throw the most toxic drugs imaginable at it, and you make one of them the kind of reigning king of treatment. Back then it was AZT, now with COVID it's remdesivir, with no feeling or regard or apprehension about the toxicity, while at the same time vilifying, persecuting, creating a, a whole culture of disinformation about treatments that are older, like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, that doctors in droves are saying is curing people, is getting people out of the hospital, is ending this sickness in a matter of days, if not hours. And I, I have to point out, I am severely troubled by the fact that the NIH, the FDA, and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Everything has been about novel and or expensive pharmaceutically engineered drugs, things like rendesivir and vaccines. The first time I got a call from Senator Johnson's chief of staff that I heard a, a, a U.S. senator wanted to talk to me because he'd come across our website. He'd come across our protocols. Ivermectin did not come into our protocol until much, much later. So it was October of 2020. And suddenly we started to see the trials around Ivermectin consistently positive in this very large magnitude. And it was coming from different centers and countries around the world. We were talking to doctors. Doctors were reaching out to us. And he was kind of inspired that he saw some doctors that were putting out treatment guidance when the government was doing nothing. My entry into the COVID arena, you can say, um, came about when I saw Pierre Corey's testimony to the state Senate in December 2020. I only saw it on the 26th of December and I prepared a rapid review and submitted it to the UK authorities on, I think it was the 4th of January. I also sent it to colleagues at the World Health Organization and asked them to pass it on to the COVID team at WHO. And when I didn't get a response by the 7th of January, what's reasonable in, in a public health emergency, and that is to disseminate information in whatever means possible. Um, and so I did a video appeal to the UK Prime Minister. Dear Prime Minister, my name is Dr. Tess Laurie, and I'm the director of the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy in Bath. I have recently authored a report called Ivermectin for Preventing and Treating COVID-19, a rapid review to validate the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance's conclusions. The good news is that we now have solid evidence of an effective treatment for COVID-19. It is called Ivermectin. In connection with its findings, I sent an urgent correspondence to Mr. Hancock and other members of Parliament on Monday the 3rd of January. Unfortunately, I have not yet had a reply, and due to the urgent implications of the report, I'm trying to reach you via this video. Please may we start saving lives now. I was invited to give a lecture at an international conference on ivermectin, 
And on the third day, a doctor named, a, a, a PhD named Andrew Hill gave a lecture and said that he was from the WHO. And I reached out to him and Andy and I became very fast and close colleagues. And he was as taken with the data as we were. I was introduced to Andrew Hill by Dr. Pierre Corey in that uh, first week of January. He had been working with Pierre Corey to present the evidence to the NIH that week. Pierre said, you know, you really must meet him. He's the WHO consultant working on ivermectin. And Andrew Hill agreed to be on the team with us. But then that weekend, his own review was published on a preprint server. Now, this was a great cause for concern because it was clearly rushed. It was very poor quality with, with all these, these obvious flaws. I emailed him and I said, Andrew, this is going to cause immeasurable harm. It's, please retract this review and let's talk. I can help you correct these errors. I'm in a very sensitive position here. And what yeah, I'm trying to do... Like, whose conclusions are those on the review that you've done? It's who's, who's, who's not listed as an author who's actually contributed? Well, I mean... I don't really want to get into... I mean, it, the, I think the unity... it, needs to be, it needs to be clear. I would like to know who... Who are these other voices that are in your paper that are not acknowledged? Unitate has a say in the conclusions of the paper, yeah. So they have a say in, in your conclusions? the FDA regulations is predicated by the fact that there's no effective alternative therapy. So if ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were declared uh, effective treatment for, for SARS-CoV-2, it would have invalidated the vaccine. The vaccines would not have been allowed to get an EUA. The suppression of early treatment through the press and through various government outlets, including the FDA, is a crime. We have a significant, unnecessary burden of loss of life due to the withholding of early treatments, including treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. It has caused unnecessary human death. We're so sort of hypnotized by those names, the New York Times, CNN, this is CNN. We're, we're mesmerized by that uh, based on their long records as widely recognized, authoritative, reputable news sources. There was that amazing uh, face-off between CNN and Joe Rogan when some of their lying heads had said that he was taking horse paste. You have individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who uh, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine but will take horse dewormer. Rogan telling his 13 million Instagram followers that he was treated with several drugs, and he included ivermectin on the list, a drug used for livestock. Joe Rogan, uh, he came down with COVID. He says, he says he's been taking the uh, livestock dewormer uh, ivermectin. That was a an attempt to take him down and to misrepresent ivermectin. And he fought back because that's in his nature. Does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer? Calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. You're working for a news organization. If they're lying about a comedian taking horse medication 
what are they telling us about Russia? What are they telling us about Syria? Do you, know, do you understand that that's why people get concerned about the veracity of the news? The reliability of the media. A recent poll that says it's almost at an all-time low. We should look at news sources that are outside of this matrix of treachery because it's there in order to accept advertising and lobbying money from established corporate sources, which means it has to operate compliantly and in alliance with the government. So you're not going to get honest information from those sources they kept saying ivermectin is a horse paste well when he got it's of course it's not it's a it's kind of a miracle drug and uh they were even thinking it could cure cancer before COVID happened and uh, then COVID happened and then they had to demonize it right away because it's cheap nobody can make money off ivermectin it's a generic and so the company that invented it burke they can't make money off it because now anybody can make it there is an alternative media. That is true. It is something that has emerged very suddenly and recently, right? Joe Rogan represents that. Uh, Jimmy Dore represents that. Uh, podcasters have basically filled the breach that's been left by the left press. There will always be some outlets, I think, that, that uh, try to tell the awful truth. And we learned something else about COVID. One day the test is positive, the next day the test is negative. A week later, the test is positive. A week later, the test is negative. So is a PCR test not a good barometer either? Yeah, that is a very good question. It's pretty obvious if you look objectively at the data that the CDC has totally manipulated this pandemic, and they did it from day one. One of the most egregious examples of this is the test that they, the very test they use to diagnose a case or someone who's infected with the virus. There's The test was a PCR test. and it amplifies the amount of agent that you want to check for. Kerry Mullis was the inventor of PCR. He was not the inventor of the PCR test. There is no test for either AIDS or COVID. As Kerry Mullis said, it doesn't test for anything. It finds what you tell it to find. And he always said, that doesn't tell you whether you're infected with anything. It doesn't tell you whether you're likely to get sick from anything. It doesn't tell you anything. And the overwhelming data about PCR tests and COVID shows that there is a shoddy, at best, correlation between positive PCR tests and disease outcome. So why did they use PCR for COVID? I mean, how can people actually tell if they are contagious in the cycle of having COVID? How do you measure that if not with either a yeah. PCR test or an antigen test. And I think that's the, the understandable confusion that people have about testing. Testing saying whether you're infected or not versus are you infected plus transmissible. COVID began in China as a pneumonia. And for some reason, we were reading in the papers that something like 53 people in Wuhan, China had some kind of novel pneumonia they hadn't seen before. And because I'm alert to propaganda, I, I got very anxious. So why are we reading about pneumonias in China? We don't ever read about pneumonias in China. Why are we reading about these? In the first week in January, I got a call from Michael 
He's a former DARPA project officer, and literally he is our top expert in gain-of-function research and has been so for years and years and has long been deeply embedded as one of our top biodefense slash biowarfare experts who was in Wuhan at the time in the first week in January. And he warned me, he said, Robert, you need to get your team spun up because we've got a problem. This coronavirus looks like it's going to be a major issue. And my question is, have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I think that the World Health Organization should be ashamed of themselves. The Fauci emails themselves, as I understand it, it was involved in trying to cover up origins of COVID. And trying to say it was a zoonotic origin and there's no way the lab leak uh, theory had any credence to it at 2:47 in the early morning of february 1st 2020 four hours after his loyal grantee virologist christian anderson informed dr fauci that he and other leading biologists believe that the genetic sequence was highly unlikely to be the product of natural selection Dr. Anthony Fauci fired off a carefully worded email to Catholic. Dr. Fauci's other emails from that evening suggest that he was intensely worried that the Chinese experiments that may have created this striation in the novel coronavirus would bear his fingerprints. I first heard about this amazing story concerning the use of burner phones by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins right after the initiation of the outbreak from the memoir that Jeremy Farrar, who's the head of the Wellcome Trust, one of the largest sources of funding for British biotechnology and vaccine development. Why Farrar was in that loop, I infer is because he had some role in providing the funding to the Wuhan Laboratory Institute of Virology that had been involved in that research. He disclosed in his autobiography that he and Tony and Francis Collins had used burner phones to avoid any trail that would be able to document their conversations immediately after the initiation of the outbreak. And he spoke about that in the context of talking about their fears and collusion in trying to cover up what they knew about the work that had gone on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The U.S. intelligence agencies now believe that the Chinese knew that the virus had escaped from the Wuhan lab by September 12th. That it probably escaped sometime in late August, early September. But on September 12th, the military went into that lab at night and they changed the leadership of the lab. They took 22,000 coronavirus samples and removed them, and they've never been seen again. They removed mention of many of the gain-of-function studies from the public-facing websites. The intelligence agencies in the U.S. and Great Britain and Europe, they call the five eyes. The Western nations who all share intelligence with each other all had deep involvement, not only in funding these studies at the Wuhan lab, but also in the cover-up of protecting the the countermeasures and, and protecting the Wuhan lab against nosy investigations. 
In August of 2020, I gave a speech to the Peace and Justice Rally in Berlin. Governments love pandemics. I estimated crowds were about a million democracy advocates. There were people from every nation in Europe and every color of the rainbow, and they came together to demand the return of their, their constitutional and human rights. The only thing a government needs to make people into slaves is fear. Immediately after that, the German intelligence agencies and the British intelligence agencies announced that they were considering vaccine hesitancy a form of terrorism and that they were unleashing their cyber warfare arsenal on people in foreign countries who they consider vaccine hesitant. It's illegal for the CIA to spy on American citizens in this country. But the way that the CIA has always gotten around that stricture is by outsourcing the spying on U.S. citizens to five I nations like Great Britain and Germany with whom they share the intelligence. So they don't have to spy on you know, us, they can get the Brits and the Germans to do it, and then they can get the intelligence that way. And it's disturbing that, um, you know, that people are simply questioning government policies, important government policies that affect the health and well-being of, of millions and millions of American children and adults are treated as enemies of the state. is this very famous uh, French uh, microbiologist uh, and clinician Didier Raoult, who actually published you know, some of the earliest data showing the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is effective against the multiplication of four different species of coronavirus uh, in cells. Uh, that may be a very good uh, candidate to treat patients. Important that not only it works on patients, but also that uh, there was a clearance of the virus in four days. But again, you know, this was going against the narrative. Previously, hydroxychloroquine was available over the counter in France to, to censor him and silence him. This was removed from over the counter. Propaganda always entails censorship. It must, because propaganda, again, does not seek to persuade. It seeks to push you, uh, to jolt you into a particular point of view. So it doesn't try to make arguments. It, it doesn't uh, try to make a reasonable case. It, it doesn't use reason at all, actually. It tends to be a kind of almost neurological manipulation. Now, because propaganda doesn't tolerate argument, it always entails extremely rigorous censorship of the counter-narrative. It must be vilified, it must be condemned, it must be blacked out. Will you provide a list of every website and hashtag that Facebook content moderation teams have discussed banning on the task platform? I would be happy to follow up with you or your team uh, to discuss further how we might move forward on that. But Will without- you commit to providing the information you have logged on the task website about content moderation that your company has undertaken? Yes or no? Senator, I think it would be better to to follow up once I've had a chance to discuss with my team what any sensitivity around that would be. We could, of course, subpoena this information. 
but I'd much rather get it from you voluntarily. But I think let everybody take note that, that Mr. Zuckerberg has now repeatedly refused to provide information that he knows that he has and has now acknowledged. Just to clear up one point, I mean, my understanding is that these vaccines do not modify your DNA or, or RNA. Um, so, so I think that that's that's just an important point to, to clarify. If I'm getting anything yeah. wrong here, of course, correct me. But um, no, no, no. But, but just to, to make that clear. I, I share some caution on this because um, we just don't know the long-term side effects of, of basically modifying people's um, DNA and RNA to, um, to directly code in a person's DNA and RNA, basically the ability to, to, to produce uh, those antibodies and whether that causes other mutations or other risks down, uh, downstream. But the real kicker is right here in the policy where Facebook says it would remove any content that, quote, claims the COVID-19 vaccine changes people's DNA. Dr. Fauci collaborated with Mark Zuckerberg. There were emails between them. And this is a complete conflict because Facebook is invested in the vaccines. Google is invested in the vaccines. They have a conflict of interest. Microsoft makes the vaccine passports. And yet Dr. Fauci, who's not supposed to be coordinating health policy with for-profit stakeholders who have a conflict of interest, he was taking input and apparently aligning his message with what these tech bros wanted to have happen. In 2020, many of the Gates, Fauci, HIV vaccine trials in Africa suddenly became COVID-19 vaccine trials as the unprecedented tsunami of new COVID-19 plunder began flowing through Dr. Fauci to the same disciplined legions of the virology cast. The one-size-fits-all approach to um, solving the problems of poverty and disease is a failed approach. Poverty is the result of a complex uh, conspiracy of economic factors, of cultural factors, of food production, of political issues, and, uh, and governance issues. The idea that you can come in with a technological intervention and solve the problems of human poverty is, is a dangerous myth. And one of the, you know, the great injuries that I think that Tony Fauci and Bill Gates have perpetrated is steering the World Health Organization away from its traditional concerns with economic development, with agriculture, with local governance and, and education, those holistic issues of developing locally rooted solutions to local problems of poverty and health and steered the WHO toward the kind of single preoccupation with vaccines. And we're taking things that are, you know, genetically modified organisms and we're injecting them in little kids' arms. We just shoot them right into the vein. The, the, the Bill Gates apparatus, they're worse than colonial powers because the colonial powers at least built some infrastructure that was useful and helpful. And pharmacolonialism specifically is you will have nothing to say about how to treat illness in your country. That will be dictated by us. And once we've put our dictatorship into your country, your country is effectively invaded in a sense. It's colonized by us. And I saw that when I crossed Africa, that 
There were CDC vans and wherever they had shown up, went to the top of each government, not hard to do, corrupted the government. One of my email contacts uh, told me that in his the town where he was from in, in Zambia, hydroxychloroquine is over the counter and yet it had disappeared from the shelves that somebody came in and bought up all of the hydroxychloroquine. You have to understand that in, in Africa, hydroxychloroquine is an anti-malarial. It's used to, for malaria. It's called Sunday Sunday because it's taken once a week. You know, Sunday is, is a typical day. It's like a, a vitamin virtually in, in those countries. And yet suddenly it disappeared off all, all the shelves and there were bonfires outside of the town. The wait is now finally over for the people of the United States. And according to the authorities, the first phase of the highly awaited Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine rollout is all set to start from Monday onwards. But the U.S. Army General Gustav Perner, who is currently acting as the chief operating officer of the government's Operation Warp Speed program, said on Saturday that the first shots of the vaccine campaign will be administered as early as Monday morning. We expect 145 sites across all the states to receive vaccine on Monday, another 425 sites on Tuesday, and the final 66 sites on Wednesday, which will complete the initial delivery of the Pfizer orders for vaccine. So the first thing you might want to say to my African-American brothers and sisters is that the vaccine that you're going to be taking was developed by an African-American woman. Early on, after the vaccine rollout began, we began to see a wave of deaths, particularly in senior citizens and elderly, who were the first people to get the vaccine. And one of these deaths was Hank Aaron, who I knew was, you know, the MLB superstar. There's a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. And Hank Aaron did a press conference at CDC's urging in Atlanta, which is the home of CDC. He did a press conference in which he got the vaccine on TV telling African-Americans, you need to do what I do. The vaccine is safe. Here, I'm going to take it in front of you. Well, 17 days later, he died. And I wrote an article saying his death is part of a wave of deaths that we're seeing in elderly after vaccination. I didn't say that his death was caused by the vaccine because I can't say that. Scientifically, I didn't have the information to be able to say that, but I could say with certitude and scientific certainty that his death was among many deaths that were being reported immediately after vaccination. Well, I was attacked by CDC and by the New York Times and USA Today and all of the television networks and news organizations around the world. Now, remember, the NFL has a vaccine mandate. Aaron Rodgers develops COVID-19. Wait a minute. You took the vaccine. He's like, no, I didn't. I didn't take the vaccine. I got COVID. He got the McCullough protocol. He goes on with Pat McAfee. I got the McCullough protocol. I got through it. Thanks, Dr. McCullough. And it's revealed he hasn't gotten the vaccine. And why? Because he's concerned about myocarditis. And Cole Beasley for the Buffalo Bills, same thing. And Kyrie Irving plays in New York for basketball same thing. So we have player after player coming out saying, listen, I am worried about myocarditis. And then you see the array of damage.
A Baker County high school senior is in the hospital after collapsing on the tennis courts. Breaking new details on the deaths of a high school soccer player. Finland, Denmark star man Christian Eriksson collapsing towards the end of the first half. The Kennedy High community mourning tonight after one of their high school football players died. A South Carolina high school football player has died after collapsing at football practice. Star college basketball player collapsing on the court. We want to warn you, the video may be difficult to watch. Florida Gators star Keontae Johnson collapsing during the game. A West Catholic high school student has died after collapsing during a football scrimmage. On mile eight, she suddenly felt fuzzy and blacked out. 17-year-old Ryan Jacobs' heart stopped. Unexpectedly collapsed on the field. Megan went into cardiac arrest. Collapsing during Friday night's football game. This is a gigantic experiment that we're doing on the entire world's population. It's never been used before in humans. The side effects for the Moderna vaccine sound concerning. We looked. After the second dose, at least 80% of participants experienced a systemic side effect. So are these vaccines safe? Well, the, uh, the FDA not being pressured will look hard at that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on this, if they stick with that, is is very, very appropriate. They have been working on this technology for a long time, but they've had a lot of problems with it. They haven't been able to get it to where it can work. It's too toxic. And they see this as a tremendous opportunity. And Fauci sees it, Bill Gates sees it. They've been heavily vested in this mRNA technology as a, a new revolutionary concept in biology, in medicine. When you woke up this morning, did you know you were going to be receiving the vaccine? I did, yes. So, you know, all of my staff, um, we are excited to get the vaccine. You know, um, I'm sorry, I'm feeling really dizzy. Oh, I'm sorry. The mRNA vaccines work by taking genetic material in the vaccine that's encapsulated in a little microscopic particle and having that particle infect your cells. And that means that it, the particle is transferred from the outside of your cells to the inside. So it uses your cells, your body, to complete the vaccine manufacturing. It's completed by your body's genetic machinery and not the, the manufacturers. The mRNA that I was working with and the inventions that I came up with are fundamentally different from what's being used in the current product in that I was producing the, what is close to being a natural RNA. What's being used in the emergency use authorized products from Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech are not natural RNAs. Uh, so they are related to what I'd originally envisioned, but also different. And those differences seem to have contributed to the risks and toxicities. Messenger RNA is made by our cells every single day. It's made by our DNA. And what messenger RNA does is it's a delivery of a recipe. The DNA has a recipe that it writes on the messenger RNA, because remember, it takes messages. So it has a recipe on the front of it that says, make this protein for healing this muscle. 
And the messenger RNA then goes over to the ribosomes, which is the factory, and it reads the, the recipe on the front of the messenger RNA and creates the protein, which then goes out into the body and goes over to the muscle that's been injured and hurt and, and repairs it. That's normal DNA, messenger RNA, that happens every day, every minute in our cells all day long. One of the fascinating and terrifying things we've seen over the last two years is that there have been more injuries and deaths reported from COVID shots in the official VAERS systems, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, than for all vaccines combined over the last 30 years. All the vaccines, hepatitis, measles, polio, DPT, you name it. There have been more injuries and more deaths in the last two years from COVID shots. In September of 2000, when I started investigating problems associated with vaccines, there were about 8,000 VAERS reports per year. The last time I looked before COVID, it was about 35,000 reports per year. And if that's somewhere between 1% and 10% of actual injuries, we could be talking about somewhere between 350,000 and 3.5 million people who are actually injured and were unfamiliar with filing a VAERS complaint. There are a number of reasons that it's underreported. It's a very cumbersome system. It's difficult to use. It's difficult to get data in. And it takes time. And clinicians are reluctant to put data into into the VAR system. So there should be a much more proactive system where the, the federal government, if they were interested, would more closely track the adverse events related to uh, these uh, vaccines. Dr. Fauci's refusal to fix the Health and Human Services Department's notoriously dysfunctional vaccine injury surveillance system, VAERS, constituted inexcusable negligence. HHS's own studies indicate that VAERS may be understating vaccine injuries by over 99%. The VAERS um, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System uh, tells me that there has been a lot of very bad side effects. The initial safety uh, study, Mark, is to see if I inject it in the arm, does it have some sort of idiosyncratic or bad reaction? I had my COVID jab on the, on the 17th of March. That left me with seizures and I was paralyzed. It's left me with tick attacks. Got my COVID vaccine, Pfizer, on Monday. And Thursday, I have those policies. There's another element to safety, and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. I'm so scared. This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. 
one of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. If you take it and then a year goes by and everybody's fine, then you say, okay, that's good. Now let's give it to uh, 500 people. And then a year goes by and everything's fine. Say, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people. And then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose. And then what have you done? university is requiring all students and workers to get vaccinated and verify the status of their booster vaccination by the date of January 21st. Tomorrow you have to show proof you're vaccinated and you can't eat indoors at Philadelphia restaurants and bars. Big changes ahead for restaurants and many other businesses in Chicago beginning tomorrow. The vaccination mandate goes into effect. If you want to eat out or work out in three suburbs, you have an extra week before you need to flash that vax card. Please get vaccinated. My daughter took that shot yesterday in Las Vegas and she's dead. She took the Pfizer vaccine and she's dead. Given the fact that we now have the virus in our hands, it is quite possible, in fact, it's invariable, that we will develop a vaccine for AIDS. Fauci's reign begins in 1984. Everything changes in 1984. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Gallo held a press conference in which it was declared by the U.S. government that the U.S. government had found the cause of AIDS at the National Cancer Institute where Gallo worked. The probable cause of AIDS has been found, a variant of a known human cancer virus. And that it was to be called human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. The same year, 1984, Fauci becomes the director of the NIAID. This saw the rise of Dr. Fauci to his current stardom. I'd like to introduce Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. Dr. Fauci understood that he could basically save his government agency by defining AIDS as an infectious disease. His agency within the NIH is all about the study of what allergies and infectious diseases. And infectious diseases were kind of on the way out uh, because they'd mostly been conquered by the time, uh, you know, Fauci came along needing to reopen the spigot of funding for his agency and his allies in big pharma. Mr. President and commissioners, that it is clear that very soon, certainly within this calendar year in the United States, we will be doing early phase one testing for safety in vaccines. We have NIH funded federal government sponsored vaccine evaluation units. It's a good collaboration between industry, the federal government and academia. What's not known to most people and would be surprising to many, not all, is that Dr. Fauci and others at the NIH are in partnership. They have patents, pharmaceutical patents, and they're in partnership with the companies. Their official job is to serve the public interest. But that has been sort of 
set aside, brushed away as if that's only a formality. The 1985 Dole Act allowed NIAID and Dr. Fauci personally to file patents on the hundreds of new drugs that his agency-funded PIs were incubating and then to license those drugs to pharmaceutical companies and collect royalties on their sales. My uncle Teddy deliberately and purposely brought in as his chief administrative aide Terry Byrne, who was the first openly gay administrative aide on Capitol Hill. He was also the first openly HIV-infected administrative aide on Capitol Hill. And this was very controversial at that time because people were terrified of being exposed even to people who they believed were maybe infected with HIV. Think about it. Here we had this new disease that you could have without being aware of it. This gave rise to media scare stories about getting AIDS from toilet seats and stuff like that. The public seems to have a toughest time in separating facts from fiction. Can children contact AIDS by drinking fountains? I would like to know if you can contact AIDS by kissing, touching, or just being around someone that has the disease. Well, as you know, there have been reports that the virus can occasionally be found in saliva. And in New Jersey, officials say that they will allow school superintendents to suspend students, teachers, or other staff who are suffering from AIDS. There is considerable talk about mandatory reporting of all AIDS cases and required blood tests, and much agonizing over the question of quarantine. So, for example, if, if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individuals who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS, or just the ordinary close contact that one sees in normal interpersonal relationships. If that's the case, then indeed the implications for the spread to even other groups besides infants and children become something that needs to be reckoned with. So I think it is going to have a major impact on our thinking about what the real confines of the syndrome will be. And when I say Anthony Fauci is essentially a social engineer, I mean that because what he does, he re-engineers how people think of human contact, touch, intimacy. You know about pregnancy? Mm-hmm. You know how I feel about responsibility? Yes. How much do you know about AIDS? You see there is a kind of, I would say, almost like an earthquake moment in, in, in time in American culture, biology, virology, politics, everything. It was a disease that was so horrendous and terrifying that it, it necessitated people staying away from each other. No more sexual contact, no more casual sexual contact. Not only sex, all forms of human contact. And now all of a sudden, as though a switch is turned, now it represents death 
and potentially murdering somebody that you love. I mean, these are really radical ideas and very dark ideas. Given the, the long incubation period of this disease, we may be starting to see, as we're seeing virtually as the months go by, other groups that can be involved. And, and seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. It used to be that Anthony Fauci, Robert Gallo, and all of them told the American people, if you test positive today, you are probably going to die within six months to a year. Then it became three years, then it became five years, then it became 10 years, and they kept stretching it and stretching it. You needed to be tested in order to know that you have it, and you needed to be tested with PCR technology. Does this sound familiar? And its inventor, Kerry Mullis, was beside himself with anger that it was being used to diagnose uh, people with HIV, which was then supposed to lead inexorably to AIDS. He spoke out against this at the time. Guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope. And if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy. And he doesn't understand medicine and should not be in a position like he's in. He repeatedly said, including on tape, you should not use the PCR test to diagnose clinical infection with viruses. He repeatedly said that. What are we doing? Using the PCR test to distinguish clinical diagnostic tests with viruses. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. When uh, Bob Gala proved that it was the etiologic agent in 1984, we had a a diagnostic test approved by the FDA in 1985. And that was really quick, from literally less than a year from the time that it was shown to be the virus that causes this disease. My mentor as a young undergraduate actually traveled with Bob Gallo to the Pasteur Institute and met with Luc Montagnier and uh, brought back uh, their DNA isolate uh, that could be used to produce the AIDS virus. Luc Montagnier sent a biological sample, let's just say, to Robert Gallo for his feedback in 1983. Robert Gallo famously held those demonstrably same proteins up at the press conference where he declared that HIV had been found in his lab and was the cause of AIDS. Credit must go to our eminent doctor, Robert Gallo. A massive battle ensued. I went over to Montagnier afterwards and I said, I can't find a uh, reference. Like, who... I can't find a reference to go with the statement, HIV is the probable cause of AIDS. I, I'm sure you can help me. So he said, why don't you use the NIH, like the, the CDC report? And I said, well, I looked at that, and that was not a scientific paper. And the people standing around, by the way, who were his colleagues there, looked at him like they were thinking he should come up with a better answer, but he couldn't. Luc Montagnier was always an interesting figure and always a thorn in the side of the orthodoxy. HIV by itself, or some styles of HIV, are not sufficient to induce AIDS. Even for the beginning, actually, we, we thought maybe uh, for the activation of that virus in cells, 
we need some cofactors. Cofactors are not necessary. I think a lot of the data point to, at best, HIV being a cofactor. And one of the human herpes viruses may play a key role in the development of that disease to the extent that it is attributable to a virus infection. Nevertheless, Dr. Fauci, of course, has been long committed to the belief system that HIV is the sole cause of a immunodeficiency virus syndrome. There was a war that I covered from the first shot fired, which was in 1987 with Peter Duisburg's paper, that most people do not know took place. A war that took place over the soul of American science, the classical science world where you have to prove what you're saying and not until you've proven it do you move forward. And the postmodern, post-Faucian, industrial, hyper-monetized, hyper-propagandized, non-scientific world. HIV cannot be the cause of AIDS because it doesn't infect enough cells and isn't active enough. It's only found in one out of 8,000 T cells. It's really unfortunate because what he's doing, he's creating a tremendous amount of anxiety in the people who are infected because they think that there's some conspiracy among scientists against them. It really is very unfortunate. And coming from him, who has, he has some qualifications. Something happened to him in his thinking over the past couple of years. I don't know what it is. HIV was never present by any means in all cases of AIDS. But Anthony Fauci made sure that there was a perfect correlation by eliminating about 5,000 HIV-negative AIDS cases. There was a conference in Amsterdam in the early 1990s, an AIDS conference. Doctors started to go to the podium in a session where they were talking about HIV-negative AIDS, and they began to say, yeah, I have some too. A clinical AIDS patient has every symptom but tests negative on every test, no matter how many times they test. And so there was a clamor, there was a sense of anxiety. Wait a minute, what is this? Could it be, could it be that Peter Duisburg is right? And Anthony Fauci flew in on Air Force Two to that conference and he did his thing and he, he quashed it. He just quashed it. He gave a statement through Newsweek that this just wasn't an issue. It was a misunderstanding. And what they did at that moment was they took all of the HIV-negative AIDS cases and they renamed them and threw them out of the official definition. In a brazen move to explain away the anomaly of AIDS without HIV, Dr. Fauci declared that the unexplained AIDS cases represented a new disease to avoid suspicion that his, quote, new disease, end quote, was, after all, chronic fatigue syndrome. Dr. Fauci labeled his discovery idiopathic CD4 plus lymphocytopenia, or ICL. In this tongue twister, idiopathic means of unknown source. I did not know whether HIV AIDS was the thing that was was the force that killed all of these people in the 80s and 90s. What we do know is that there was a deliberate, purposeful 
effort that was orchestrated by Tony Fauci, a crusade to silence dissidents, to make sure the debate didn't happen, to make sure that science that challenged the official orthodoxy was suppressed, um, that people who voiced that science had their careers destroyed, that they were silenced, that they were vilified, that they were marginalized, that they were, they were ridiculed, that they were made radioactive. The publisher said, you know, this is the Vietnam of our generation, so I'm going to designate a column. And I became the editor of that column and often the writer of the column. Frustration over the AIDS crisis spilled over into a big protest today at City Hall in Manhattan. More than 2,000 people demanding action. An estimated 1 million people in the United States have HIV. That number could grow exponentially starting tomorrow. Fire Fauci. We need drugs. Release the drugs. This is a story about sexism, this is a story about greed, and this is war. And the National Institutes of Health are refusing to do their job. I don't have access to these trials. The criterion are too tight, they take too long, and every day I read about drugs that are available and they're not going to trial. There's no access to any new drugs. And I'm coming here to ask for access to these drugs. The FDA will move as quickly as possible to address this issue and expand the, uh, the indication for, for AZT. He didn't even blink. This was entirely second nature to him to unblinkingly get on television night after night and speak of this incredibly toxic chemical. And I mean, really toxic. People with asymptomatic HIV infection. Since AZT is a, is a drug that's already on the market, physicians can, can, at their discretion, prescribe it for whatever it is that they want to prescribe it for. Anthony Fauci made a decision at a certain point and came out with it that anybody with CD4 cells lower than 500, though they were still healthy and not symptomatic of AIDS, should go on AZT as a preventive measure. All participants whose T4 counts are less than 500 should be offered AZT. I knew that the drug had come out of a, an anti-cancer program. Uh, it, it basically, it's a modified uh, nucleic acid. Our, you know, our DNA and RNA are made of, of these little chemical bases. And when you modify some of them, they can jam the machinery of cells replicating. That's how a lot of chemotherapy drugs work, and this is just the same. One person I interviewed, his brother was perfectly healthy and had been persuaded to go on a high dose of AZT, and he was dead within a year, but also his face melted, melted away. It's like, it's, it's like Hiroshima, very powerful radiation. He was diagnosed. He had advanced AIDS near death, just months to live, massive infections in his lungs, all over his body, uh, Kaposi sarcoma lesions on his skin, high titers of the virus all throughout his body. And instead of being dead today, as most of the people taking AZT were by undergoing hyperthermia at the University of Rome, today he is alive and well. There is a successful series of treatments. I use the word treatments 
Uh, there's no one treatment I think is better than any other. Hyperthermia, vitamin C drips, ozone treatment. I had taken my medical records down to the National Institutes of Health to Dr. Fauci's lab and showed them because they have presently discredited this treatment. And that's why our federal government has not allowed it here in the United States as of yet. Um, showed them my medical records. And what I did is I blanked out a set that had my name on it, showed them and said, well, what do you think of this? Their response is, well, this person obviously got better. What did they do? Fauciism is a, an absolute contempt for natural non-toxic therapies, a contempt for the whole dialectic and discussion about what is an immune system, what is health, how do you detoxify, what does it mean when you're, when you're getting sick from a, a chronic illness? Uh, is it just a matter of attacking the accused pathogen with the most toxic drugs kind of imaginable? AZT at the time was the most toxic drug that had ever been put in a capsule and given to human beings. My uncle and Terry Byrne spent a lot of time meeting with Tony Fauci and trying to persuade him to have a parallel track. Their proposal was to create a parallel track approval system that would allow community AIDS doctors to conduct clinical studies on off-the-shelf drugs that neither pharma nor NIAID wanted to test. AZT at that time was headed to be the most expensive drug in history. It would cost $10,000 for a year of treatment. And for that drug to function, Burroughs Welcome had to make sure that there were no competitors in the marketplace. Part of the strategy for the NIAID for Anthony Fauci and for his partners at Burroughs Welcome was to make sure that those drugs did not get FDA approval because it would have killed AZT. AZT was approved in a way that I have said it kind of broke the spine of the FDA tradition, the FDA drug approval tradition that had reigned up to that point where it took up to 10 years roughly for a drug to be considered adequately tested for both safety and efficacy. I don't think the FDA drug approval process prior to that was probably all that safe or great, but at least it was something. You had to prove safety if you're the FDA and you had to prove efficacy for a new drug. That all ended with AZT. When I was at the Wellcome Research Labs, I was very proud to be in a place that had discovered the first drug that became allegedly useful for AIDS. I knew that they had found a, a new way to use uh, an oncology drug and I thought, well, well done to them. I had no idea, I'm, I was like 28. I'm just you know, very happy. I'd never heard of Dr. Fauci at that time. I didn't know it was expensive, and I definitely didn't know it was what that it would actually that it was really poisoning people. Neither NIAID nor Burroughs Welcome ever completed any long-term animal study. Burroughs Welcome financed Dr. Fauci's fast-track human trials, fragmenting their study groups in 12 cities into small cohorts, making safety signals difficult to detect. 
1987, Dr. Fauci's team declared the human study a success and terminated it after only four months of a proposed six-month study, a record-setting speed for chemotherapy approval. That four-month observation period was far too short for researchers to detect side effects that would occur in patients taking AZT for years or even for a lifetime. Arthur Ashe died, and when Rudolf Nureyev died, and many, many other friends of mine who died during that period, during the 80s and 90s of AIDS, my assumption was that AIDS was killing these people. I was completely unaware, really, until I wrote this book, that there was an alternative narrative. Many doctors and scientists and activists believed that it was actually the majority of those men were dying because of AZT poisoning. Arthur Ashe himself suspected that it was the AZT that was killing him and not his HIV infection. Both he and Nureyev were healthy uh, until they began taking AZT. Public health colonialism enables us to show up in third world countries, demand that their leadership tell the people that they are all about to die of a terrible new disease and we have to get in there and we take over protecting the needy and the poor and especially people in third world countries from this terrible virus. I worked in South Africa, you know, at the height of the AIDS epidemic. It was a pretty terrifying time. Uh, we didn't really understand what it is. So these poor people would get overwhelming infections, they'd get pneumocystis, pneumonia, and they would die. And we were helpless. And oh, we have to give them AZT, and we have to give them drugs, and we have to give them vaccines. We thought this was the, the answer to the AIDS epidemic. You know, we had no idea how toxic it was. We had no idea how ineffective it was. We had no idea how Fauci et al. had manipulated the data and how they were experimenting on, on these poor people. I had an intense interest in Africa from when I was a little boy. Probably that amplified when I was seven years old. My father came back from a trip to Africa with a film called Africa Speaks, and they showed it on the little 16 millimeter projector that we had in our basement. And I just fell in love with the gun, and I ended up going to Africa beginning in 1964 many, many times. I met over my lifetime with many African leaders, including Jomo Kenyatta, the first president of Kenya, Julius Nyerere, the long-term president of Tanzania, Nelson Mandela, many, many, many other African leaders. And I had a fertile interest in the problems of how U.S. aid and foreign assistance can sometimes exacerbate problems, political problems, cultural problems, the problems of hunger and poverty, rather than alleviating them. And, um, you know, a sensitivity to the idea that we need to be willing to listen to, uh, to local leadership and that we need to nurture community-based solutions. You, there are certain things that one thought one knows, 
uh, HIV equals AIDS equals death. And one of the things that became clear and actually rather disturbing was the fact that there was a view that was being expressed uh, by people whose scientific credentials you can't question. It seemed to me that there had been a determined effort to exclude their voice, to, to silence it. So let me ask you about uh, HIV and AIDS. Why did it take so long for medical researchers to realize there was a connection? Well, when you say a connection, David, what do you mean a connection? HIV leads to AIDS. Oh, that was, well... But I thought for a while people didn't recognize that that was necessarily the case. Well, that we'll call denialists who are really off the radar screen, so okay. we won't even go there. He brought 24 scientists to Pretoria. I was there, 12 on one side of the issue, 12 on the other side of the issue. He wanted to hear all around the table what everybody thought and, and make a decision. How am I going to handle HIV, AIDS, public health, uh, antiretroviral regimens and so forth in South Africa? I listened and heard the whole story told about our own country. It seemed to me that we could not blame everything on a single virus. It's remarkable that he's still alive, I'll just say, his health minister. She had plastic lemons and pieces of garlic hurled at her because she had said garlic, lemon, olive oil is good to drink every day if you want to strengthen your immune system. Pharma-funded activist group, they showed up and pelted her. The cruelty, the bullying, the culture of just absolutely viciously going against anybody who spoke about natural remedies or the immune system or, or the human body. Studies in unborn fetuses in which the mother is given AZT to determine whether or not you can prevent the onset in that 30 to 40 percent of uh, newborn infants who become infected from an infected mother. Get the virus, never mind the person, never mind the, the, the life. And that's Fauciism. New York City's Administration for Children's Services had enrolled children in unnecessary and dangerous HIV and AIDS drugs trials during a 20-year period starting in the late 80s. Anthony Fauci helped arrange for the drug companies to get access to children in foster homes in seven states. There was a children's center in New York, in the Bronx, called Incarnation Center, where foster children or children who were considered to have AIDS through PCR tests that were inaccurate were put in this medical center and they were used for experimental drugs. Some of the children were infants. Some of the children were not even HIV positive. Fauci, together with pharmaceutical companies, sponsored these experiments. I use the terminology that's used in the Nuremberg Code. These are experiments, they're not studies. These are invasive experiments. If the children wouldn't take the drugs by mouth, then they would put in a gastric tube. Some of the older children refused to take the drugs that were given to them because they were so horrible. So they surgically inserted a feeding tube in their tummies so that they couldn't resist. And many of these children died in a potter's grave of 80 children. And these were all children of color. My assignment was to go there, so I did. I went to Hawthorne, New York, and I located this grave site. 
and what it looks like if you're standing before it. It was a semicircle of large tombstones with names engraved on the tombstones. I remember there were there were stuffed animals and flowers and hearts and things adorning those those tombstones. And I also remember there were flies buzzing around. There was a mound, a gigantic hole in the ground covered by astroturf. And it wasn't nailed down, it was just covered. And I went over and I took a corner of the astroturf. And I remember, you know, my, my heart was pounding. I lifted it up and inside was just a lot of coffins. They were, they were in there haphazardly. And apparently there was more, more than one child in each coffin. The drug companies which have supported trials at Incarnation include some of the world's largest. They also refuse to be interviewed for this program. Officials at the National Institutes for Health insist that any participation of children in drug trials should be voluntary in every sense. These little children are regarded as throwaway children. Nothing really was done to punish those who broke the law. Well, I visited the state institutions for the mentally retarded, and I think particularly at Willowbrook that we have a situation that borders on a snake pit. I remember very well when I was 11 years old, my father kicking down the of the Willowbrook State School, which he called a snake pit because they were doing experiments on children with intellectual disabilities. The children live in filth, uh, but uh, many of our fellow citizens are suffering tremendously. Tremendously. You had a lot of money at stake with pharmaceutical companies, so there was huge incentives and there was career incentives for doctors who were doing these kind of experiments. Most people cannot imagine that there are people, especially medical doctors, which Dr. Fauci is, can disregard the humanity of people, including children. It was a horrific abuse, and because it was government-sponsored together with pharmaceutical companies, they had kind of free reign. New York State and New York City provided the children. The Vera Institute, relying mostly on New York City Administration for Services documents, confirmed 80 deaths and many other children suffered serious harm. The 1986 Act was, was created and signed into law by Reagan. It allegedly created a program for compensation of children who were injured by their vaccines or who died and they would get some level of compensation. It was meant to make vaccines safer and it gave virtually blanket liability protection to vaccine manufacturers and healthcare providers who are providing vaccines. The 1986 Injury Compensation Act was a real game changer. 
because all of the drug companies that were making vaccines were deciding that they were going to not do vaccines anymore unless they got liability protection because they were getting sued at every turn. Now, the blanket liability protection created a boom town. It created a gold rush. The sad reality is a whole new industry of recklessly developed vaccines that are highly profitable. And it did not lead to compensation to children who were injured. And it absolutely did not lead to safer vaccines. That's one of the tragedies that is across the board when it comes to public health. Because you see, when doctors join forces with government, they no longer comply with medicine's mission and sacred oath to first do no harm to the individual patient. They become agents of government and they do what they're told. A retrovirus is a primitive life form that has no capacity to replicate on its own, which is something that's true of all other viruses. The retrovirus injects its RNA into an existing cell where an enzyme called reverse transcriptase converts viral RNA into DNA, which is then inserted or spliced into the host cell's DNA. In the late 1980s, when I was at the Salk Institute as a graduate student, when I was in my 20s, I was working on trying to understand how RNA gets packaged into retroviruses, because retroviruses were the leading way for gene therapy to be developed and potentially applied. That idea was, well, if you can use RNA as a drug, what would you use it for? So my belief was using RNA as a drug to produce a vaccine response by expressing a foreign protein. And so I worked on that and ended up uh, finding a way to get RNA into cells. Once that set of technologies came together, I filed invention disclosures and eventually patents on the use of RNA as a drug. So when I joined the pharmaceutical industry in uh 1988, there were in Britain something like 15 separate drug companies. There's a very small, a small number of very large companies, but they don't, they don't tend to discover many of their drugs in-house. They, they use experts internally to try and identify biotechs that are doing good stuff, and then they, they grab them for money, and then they complete the development process. Once the mRNA technology had been developed. I left uh, the salt and went to this company called Vical. Vical was actually founded in part to develop antivirals for the AIDS virus under a Burroughs Welcome contract. The patents were sold to Merck. Together with Vical, they spent over a billion dollars that could never make it work because it was believed that it was functionally impossible to manufacture RNA at large scale. But what they did do during that period is keep anybody else from working on it because the patents had issued, uh, which is why there's this 10-year gap, essentially, or more, really 20 years, uh, between the discoveries in the late 80s and then the real initiation of research into RNA vaccines starting in the early 2000s. AIDS vaccines is not about a solution. It's about permanent industry. You know, it's like waiting for Godot. Bye, 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 Godot doesn't bye, ever have to come. Bye, bye, 
the industry that they've created through the promise that they will somehow have produced this miracle to us is a now one of the giant medical industries of the medical cartel. And it's irrelevant if they ever produce a vaccine. Nobody ever questions them. Congress is not even asking the question. They just appropriate the money to Tony Fauci year after year after year to keep this infrastructure of virologists, immunologists, of principal investigators, and all of the medical cartel is all in on it. Justice asked the federal trial court in Seattle to fine Gates a record million dollars a day for antitrust violations. Judge Thomas Penfield Jackson ruled that Microsoft had violated the 1890 Sherman Antitrust Act prohibitions outlawing monopolies and cartels. If you go back and look at uh, Bill Gates' business his, his history as the first execu a top executive and, and founder of Microsoft, um, it's quite clear that he was very interested in, in acting as a monopoly. We've all seen the footage of him testifying as he's rocking back and forth in a chair with his arms crossed in a kind of a rather odd behavior. The Justice Department has charged Microsoft with engaging in anti-competitive and exclusionary practices designed to maintain its monopoly in personal computer operating systems. The Microsoft Explorer decision caused Microsoft to divest from what was clearly a monopolistic practice with its browser technology to exclude other competitors. He was really the most reviled businessman in the United States. And then suddenly, he became the philanthropist. What he's done is taken his toolkit that he's developed in the pressure cooker of competition in the IT sector and turned those same practices towards public health and functionally has monopolized public health through his philanthropic giving that isn't really philanthropy. It's more of a screen behind which he has made other strategic investments that have produced a massive financial return. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that. And it kind of stunned me. There's been over a 20 to one return. Modern billionaires that are also uh, often referred to as philanthropists that are uh, increasingly controversial have a lot in common with John D. Rockefeller's reputation. Prior to the beginning of his rebranding as a philanthropist, John D. Rockefeller was very much hated uh, by the American working class um, for a variety of reasons, uh, a large part of it being how he treated workers, but also his business style and the interest in, in his family and particularly himself in consolidating power. 
1910, John D. Rockefeller really kind of took over medicine, particularly the medical schools. And they redirected medicine to be totally focused on pharmaceutical interventions and also various surgical procedures. In other words, to make it a real business. The Rockefellers are involved in everything. The World Health Organization, both Rockefeller and Gates. He really points to his father, who's Bill Gates II, as sort of being a guiding reason as to why he's interested in directing a lot of the money of his philanthropy. And Bill Gates II was the head of Planned Parenthood during a time when it was rather different than it is today. When I was growing up, my parents were always involved in various volunteer things. My dad was uh, head of Planned Parenthood, and it was very controversial. That uh, same society also was with some of these Rockefeller eugenics-focused uh, philanthropies at the time. The very, very wealthy form foundations to eliminate their tax requirement. Foundations don't have to pay taxes. So they simply move their business under the flag of foundation, and then they're exempt from tax, and they gain huge control because they're distributing money to all sorts of non-government agencies. But they get to decide exactly who to give money to, what kind of policies to support, and guess what? In the meantime, they're shoveling in money for themselves. The president of the Rockefeller Foundation, Dr. Rajiv Shah, joined the Gates Foundation in 2001. And in Africa, he directed the International Finance Facility for Immunization. Using sleight of hand, the IFFI enriches Gates Pharma partners with Western financial bonds by passing the cost to future generations in poor countries. Starting with AIDS and going through SARS and MERS and Zika and bird flu, they have. All right, y'all. So obviously, for those of you that missed last week, that was part one. That was part one. I apologize because um, I, I apologize for Mick because he's he's. Well, we're just, uh, this he's, is, he's kind of retarded. No, it was the way it popped up. It was the way you it popped looked up. at it. You were like, you even said, yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. You were like, yeah, I would have played the same thing. I was like, well, that's what I played. So Shut don't up. close it. Don't close I know, it. No, I'm not. I'm not tr- All right. Okay. So, so part two folks, part two right now, here we go. And away. Do you want, wait, 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 before we do part two, cause it is like 420. It's 420. We're going to do it. We started this four hours ago. We said it's 420 somewhere. Now it's 426. And I I loaded a bomb. Before, before we, before we we get going. Yes. Uh, A little intermission. Cause wow, that was seriously. I'm actually, I'm really glad we watched it the second time because gonna make i think this watching this area one right after another yes but you know how like all right you know how when you watch when you watch a movie more than once or you or read a book okay 
Um, everyone Pick always different parts everyone that always asks me, yeah, they're like, how can you read the time. same book over and over again? I'm like, do you watch the same movie over again? Do you only just watch it once? They're like, no, I get more out of it the second time. Yeah, you get more out of a book the second time too. It's the same thing with this. I, I could probably watch part one and probably part two like three or four times and pick up something new each time and or someone that isn't already as familiar with all this information as I am and we are collectively. Um, I did not see that yet, Def, but I'll look at it. So, uh, so yeah, you know, um, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm glad we watched part one first, especially because a lot of people didn't see last week. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now you know what the hubbaloo was about. Now you know what all that was about. Now you understand the background. So we start this one. You're going to be like, oh, okay, that's all makes sense. So what's the name? Um, what did you say, Possum? What's the name of this doc? Of the documentary? Oh, it's, it's uh, The Real Anthony Fauci, part one and two. Yeah. So if you go to our Telegram, um, go to uh, Patriot Party Pod Chat on Telegram. It's it's in there. I posted the link in our Telegram yes. chat. <clears throat> and it's uh, Robert F. Kennedy's. Uh, it's based on Robert F. Kennedy's books. It's the visual per- portion of his books. That's all. Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't seen part two yet either. We're about to watch it right now. So we're all so, about to watch it right now. So we've got it. We just haven't prepared it yet because we were just doing a Justin tribute, hanging out with y'all, you know, and we got a couple more hours to kill. So we're going to yeah do part two now before I go make, I think I'm making meatloaf for dinner. You know, anyway, um, but not during the show because I haven't seen this yet either. So I'm going to sit my ass right here and watch the whole damn thing. And it is. Looks like an hour and 10 minutes yes. long. So not as long as the first one. One ten thirty-five. So that's not too bad. So anyway. we're going to get going. So let me right. uh, click this over, get this up, and we're going to go full screen on that. Fantastic. Here we go. And you're going to shut your mouth and... respiratory illness with similarities to SARS has healthcare workers around the world on alert. The outbreak of a mystery virus in China. A new virus has been discovered that has pandemic potential. The biggest concern is that it could become airborne. The majority of the cases are in China, where the virus was first reported on December 31st. At least 45 people have contracted the virus. Animal is probably the source of this new virus. At some point, this virus jumped from animals to humans. It is now spreading across Asia. And while the risk of the U.S. outbreak is still low, majority of Americans, the risk is very low. A SARS-like virus, which has infected hundreds in China, has now reached the United States. The first case of the deadly Chinese coronavirus making its way to the U.S. He came to Seattle January 15th, and within a day, he's diagnosed. It is a coronavirus. We don't know how contagious it is. Now called COVID-19. COVID-19. Over 100 cases in more than a dozen states. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Stay at home. That is the order tonight from four state governors. We've been asking people to stay at home during this pandemic. If you were planning to see friends this weekend, maybe don't. 
What you're talking about is our 15 days to stop the spread initiative. We should be acting as if we have the virus, as Tony Fauci says. Stay at home. The message was met with skepticism. Shoppers stocking up on necessities. Shelves that usually hold toilet paper wiped clean. Shoppers rush into a Los Angeles Costco this morning with this warning. Supplies are being rationed keep up with the unprecedented coronavirus panic shopping. Many people are buying too much, leaving empty shelves. Over these last few weeks, stay-at-home orders have turned America's densest and most vibrant cities into virtual ghost towns. Strict lockdown laws have turned the global city into a ghost town. We turn to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Health. The 15 days that we had of mitigation clearly have had an effect. When we extended the guidelines from the 15-day guidelines to now 30 days. COVID-19 lockdown's been extended indefinitely in China's Chengdu city. 26 million people confined to their homes and no end in sight. This whole kind of dynamic of profiteering and the divergence of, of vaccination and the regulatory process really arcing towards corruption, control, and private profit, the pharmaceutical industry, accelerated or amplified dramatically after the meeting between Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates in 2000. Those two men had kind of a synergistic effect on each other. So you have the, the entire biomedical research and the medical cartel globally now controlled by a tiny handful of men with Gates and Fauci driving it. And you've had this giant diversion of foreign aid dollars away from the traditional interests and intentions of foreign aid. Now virtually a huge percentage of it going to the vaccine only and with no accountability, with nobody actually saying, are more lives being saved? Is quality of life improving? Is public health improving? It's just an ideology, it's a religion. And there are high priests of that religion and you're not allowed to question them. Starting with AIDS and going through everything, uh, SARS and MERS and Zika and bird flu, they have one thing in common, Fauci at the center. We had the anthrax spore attacks. We did SARS in 2002, MERS 2003, bird flu in 2005, H1N1 2009. This is same playbook, different virus. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation put up $10 billion in 2010 to make the decades of vaccines to be from 2010 to 2020. Another day of germ warfare and still no sign, the worst case of bioterrorism in this country. America strikes back. Anthrax, another infection, this time at NBC News and Rockefeller Plaza. In just a week's time, we have had four confirmed cases of anthrax, all with media connections and a number of anthrax scares as well. On October 5th, 2001, almost a month after the September 11th terrorist attacks on New York City, the Pentagon and Western Pennsylvania, terror of another type struck. 
President Bush tries reassuring the nation after anthrax has founded a facility that handles mail going to the White House. One week after 9-11, there was an anthrax attack. The anthrax attacks precipitated a new interest in our intelligence community and the Pentagon in bioweapons development. The Pentagon wanted to start developing bioweapons again, but it knew the only way it could legally do that is if it told the public that it was developing vaccines and it was nervous that nobody would believe them. And so instead of doing the studies themselves, they began funneling the money through Tony Fauci. Ultimately, if civilians are going to need protection against anthrax, the answer may be found in a new vaccine. Dr. Fauci thinks the events of September 11th will speed that process. In, in usual times, that, that's a process that takes years and years. But I can tell you the amount of time that it's going to take, given the urgency of the situation, is going to be markedly truncated. I was there at the time when that was really launched. I know a lot of the people, I know where a lot of the bodies are buried, the nuance of what happened there, of the various groups that ended up acting in corrupt ways over time. I saw the uh, initiation of the company that we now call Emergent Biosystems and its role in aggressively protecting its estate, exclusive estate in anthrax vaccines. At Dyneport Vaccine Company, I took a position as the associate clinical research director. I played a role in almost all of the biodefense products. At that time, the vice president of the United States, Dick Cheney, engaged in uh, enabling a whole new biodefense infrastructure, really a whole new segment of the medical industrial complex. Robert Cadillac, who's been steeping himself essentially in, in obsessions about anthrax, is added to be the top bioterrorist uh, consultant to Paul Wolfowitz and Donald Rumsfeld immediately after 9-11 in this critical period of just a few weeks uh, leading up to the 2001 anthrax attack. Saving lives in an emergency requires cutting-edge medical countermeasures, medications, vaccines, diagnostics, and more. In 2001, he was teaching at the U.S. National War College. During that year, he participated in something called Dark Winter, which was an emergency preparedness game that's controversial in some circles for several reasons, because it took place in June 2001, and there's several aspects of the script of that exercise that ended up being the running narrative of the 2001 anthrax attacks, like the uh, anthrax being sent in letters had previously been gamed out at this Dark Winter exercise. And actually, it's Robert Cadillac who gave the exercise Dark Winter its name. There was a simulation called Dark Winter that didn't come out very well. During June 22nd and 23rd, 2001, less than three months before the 9-11 attacks, the Pentagon launched a war game codename Operation Dark Winter at Andrews Air Force Base that emphasized the military's earnest commitment to bioweapons vaccines. Robert Cadillac was the lead organizer of this pandemic simulation. Dark Winter participants explored strategies for imposing coercive quarantines, censorship, mandatory masking, lockdowns, and forced vaccination, and expanded police powers as the only rational response to the pandemic.
It's really important for people to understand the odd chronology of what happened that initiated the biosecurity agenda in our country, which is now the spear tip of American foreign policy. In June of 2001, you had the dark winter simulation scripted by the CIA, which predicted a smallpox attack mounted by somebody who is clearly a Saddam Hussein-like figure. At the same time, you have the Pentagon engage in Operation Bacchus, which is developing a feasibility study for developing a garage anthrax mechanism by which terrorist groups could create anthrax. So it actually creates the model for a terrorist group to create an anthrax attack on our country. If you look at Anthony Fauci's tenure at NIAD, specifically after the 2001 anthrax attacks, he was responsible for the massive funding of numerous biosafety labs throughout the United States, several of which have engaged in gain-of-function experiments uh, during that period of time. Gain-of-function refers to experiments that intentionally modify a pathogen to create the ability to cause or worsen disease, enhance transmissibility, and or create novel strains with the potential to cause global spread in humans. The problem is we don't have enough vaccine to go around. Meaning we don't have enough vaccine for the United States? Well, I would like to think that, but we don't have sufficient uh, stockpiles for the people in Oklahoma, Georgia, or Pennsylvania, much less for the entire United States population. Well, that certainly doesn't sound encouraging. What do you mean exactly? Angie, it means it could be a very dark winter for America. When those attacks happened, it, the investigation quickly revealed that those strains were of a domestic source linked to the U.S. military, and there was no way that it was actually of a foreign origin, as was being suggested at the time. Operation Northwood was a proposal that was put in front of my uncle by his Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was a false flag event. He's the people like General Lemon served and Curtis LeMay had won World War II, and uh, there was no more respect for military leaders in our country. And they said to him, we should plant bombs and kill American citizens and blame it on the Cubans and do a series of other events that would kill, cause mayhem and death in America to American citizens in order to justify an unprovoked attack on Cuba. These were the, the center of the American military, and they were proposing murdering American citizens to create a provocation to invade another country. My uncle heard their proposal, said nothing to them, walked out of the meeting in the middle of the proposal, and said to one of his aides, and we call ourselves the human race. He was disgusted. These were the most respected military and intelligence officers alive at that time. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We cannot exclude the possibility that the anthrax was sent out by somebody within our own government to serve some larger agenda. And the FBI later determined that the anthrax had come from Fort Detrick, 
or one of two other military labs that are operated by the U.S. intelligence agencies and by the United States military. The government agencies and the mainstream media initially pointed to Saddam Hussein as the culprit behind the anthrax attacks. We've seen the enemy. The terrorists cannot be reasoned with. The anthrax attacks were used as a provocation to ram through the Patriot Act with almost no debate and to initiate this war against Saddam Hussein. There's always the potential for bioterror. And we have a major biodefense research and development effort that spans agencies from the NIH to do the basic research to be able to develop better vaccines. Having said that, the worst bioterrorist is nature itself. The chances of nature creating something really bad is much better than we mere mortal humans doing it. When no further bioterror attacks occurred over the next 10 years, Dr. Fauci skillfully maintained his annual $1.7 billion biosecurity budget by deftly recalibrating his rhetoric away from bioterrorism hype. Instead, he invoked the new panic of a natural but emerging infectious disease. And ever since 2001, Anthony Fauci has been running around the world like this kind of agitated chicken little, warning everybody about the advent of bird flu or the pandemic du jour. And none of them ever materializes until, of course, they hatch one themselves. Right now, if we had an explosion of an H5N1, we would not be prepared for that. I don't see it as an exercise because it could be the big one. It could be. And if it is, all rushing around, doing what we need to do, pushing the envelope is not for naught or in vain. The pandemic flu, there's no responsiveness and no background immunity of anyone. Another reason why we really have to rev up our preparedness. Nowhere in the world is completely safe when there's an epidemic raging in one part of the world. The 2005 PREP Act was put into legislation at the time that they were running around screaming about bird flu. They came in and gave them complete liability protection for anything that was de that was developed that was called a covered countermeasure for a pandemic. So they were laying the groundwork for this a long time ago. The Injury Compensation Act was set up. It was supposed to be a watchdog organization, but we've got the Fox monitoring the hen house because we have the FDA monitoring complaints against vaccines that are primarily sold by the CDC. So it was never, ever set up the way that it should have been. It's absolutely horrific. It's completely unconstitutional because there is no separation of powers. This is not within the judiciary. It's even more liability protection for industry than under the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Program. If you can show by clear and convincing evidence, you might be able then to take your case to civil court. But the PREP Act is like, almost an insurmountable wall. Even with a vaccine, 
there still would be some suffering and death. We must protect the American people by stockpiling vaccines. In 2005, I was going to Washington, D.C. about every two to three months to go into the pandemic planning meetings, pandemics associated with bird flu. And it wasn't until a little bit later that we realized that these coronaviruses had been weaponized through illegal gain-of-function research to weaponize the spike proteins and that that was what was falling underneath the EUA so that people could be injected with these shots with a weaponized spike protein. So it wasn't just garden variety coronaviruses that were causing flu. In 2005, they created a swine flu epidemic, which of course never happened. It was declared a pandemic. There were 40 million uh, vaccines distributed. And again, they caused uh, Bell's palsy and Guillain-Barre and a lot of other neurological injuries. The vaccine ultimately had to be pulled. 46 states are reporting H1N1 as widespread, with more than 1,000 deaths and 20,000 hospitalizations. And while an average case is usually no more dangerous than other flu, this strain has its unknowns. 30% of the deaths are in healthy people with no underlying problems. President Obama decided to declare the epidemic a national emergency of swine flu. And around the country, people were lining up waiting for hours to get vaccinations. But there are only 11 million doses available, far short of the 40 million expected by this time. We need hospitals and healthcare providers to continue preparing for an increased patient load and to take steps to protect healthcare workers. We need families and businesses to ensure that they have plans in place if a family member, a child, or a co-worker contracts the flu and needs to stay home. But we're also making steady progress on developing a safe and effective H1N1 flu vaccine, and we expect a flu shot program will begin soon. This program will be completely voluntary, but it will be strongly recommended. This morning's Flu Watch, vaccine side effects. Government health officials say they have worked very hard to make sure the H1N1 vaccine is safe for everyone. However, one rare, and we should emphasize rare, side effect of flu vaccines is starting to show up around the country. This is 14-year-old Jordan McFarland. Weeks ago, he was an athletic young man playing sports. Now he needs a walker to move from room to room. It's an aching, but it's 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 also a pain that I can't describe. Doctors told Jordan's parents he has Guillain-Barre syndrome, or GBS, a rare illness in which the immune system attacks the nervous system. Jordan's family believes the H1N1 vaccine is to blame. 24 hours after he received both the seasonal and swine flu vaccines, he was hospitalized. During the 1976 swine flu scare, officials vaccinated 45 million people. Of those, almost 1,100 developed GBS. If you really look at the scientific data, it is unclear why that happened. Clearly, the risk of the complication of the disease is greater than the risk of the vaccine. We hear from a physician in Durham, North Carolina. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Dr. Fauci. Good morning. um, Pedro. Um, You've been at the NIH a pretty long time, and it seems to me that during your tenure, our ability to control infectious diseases hasn't improved, but in fact, worsened. And don't you think it's time that you step down and let someone else who has a more effective message? (laughs) Actually, no. (laughs) And then Ebola, which, although it was much smaller, 
there was some luck involved in that. Because it wasn't spread through uh, respiratory contact, the reproductive rate was a lot lower and you know, it was basically people who were sick or dead uh, who were doing most of the transmission. I wasn't involved in any of the evidence synthesis for around Ebola, but I am aware of a key document and, and a meeting that was held in September 2015 for sharing research and data during public health emergencies. These participants included the Wellcome Trust, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It included members of big pharma such as J&J, Glasgow SmithKline, uh, Takeda Vaccines, Sanofi, and also um, the International Federation of Pharmaceutical Manufacturers Association. Remdesivir is a toxic drug. You know, they tried it for Ebola and they actually had to abandon the study because of the increased risk of death. We know that remdesivir increases the risk of renal failure, that's kidney failure, at least 20-fold. And this is based on the World Health Organization data. Today we're announcing a commitment over this next decade, uh, which we think of as a, a decade of, of vaccines. They were ramping up the pediatric schedule. They were ramping up the requirements for schools. They started passing laws where you, they took away your exemption rights that you had a right to refuse because they wanted all those kids vaccinated. If all those kids are vaccinated, they become mostly customers for life with their asthma, allergies, eczema, ADD, ADHD, insulin-dependent diabetes. You don't see those illnesses in healthy, unvaccinated children. So we needed to push that forward to create a, a generational customers for life because the drug companies blockbuster drugs were running out of patents because patents are about 20 to 22 years. Somebody gave me a transcript of a secret meeting that had occurred between the leading public health officials and the pharmaceutical industry that had occurred in the year 2000. And the precursor of that meeting was an internal study that had been done in 1999 by CDC following this explosion in the vaccine schedule and that began in 1989. We started seeing the beginning of the autism epidemic and an epidemic of other neurological and autoimmune diseases. And when the first data set came back, it was shocking. Children who had received that vaccine had an 1135% greater chance of getting a subsequent autism diagnosis than kids who did not. They spend most of the time talking about how to hide these associations from the American public and what their strategy will be for conducting studies it ended up being very, very fraudulent studies. I got a hold of that transcript and I published excerpts from it in Rolling Stone and Salon simultaneously. And immediately there was a storm of controversy pressuring Rolling Stone and Salon to take down the article. You know, I was initially shocked to see this level of censorship and the control that the pharmaceutical industry exercises over the American media. I was doing at that time uh, probably 60 speeches a year for a significant part of my income, a lot of them at universities and corporate events. Those speeches disappeared. I was writing every six months an op-ed for the New York Times, and they stopped publishing me not only on vaccine issues, but on any issue, on environmental issues, etc. You get deplatformed if you tell the truth, and or if you say anything that challenges government orthodoxies. Let me ask you about vaccines. There's obviously been a controversy with uh, children's vaccines about whether or not they might cause autism. What is your view on that? 
there, there is, I, mean, I have a strong view on that. There's zero evidence that the vaccines that were in question, particularly measles and MMR, have anything at all to do with the development. In 2016, when I met with, uh, with Tony Fauci, we had a very, very heated meeting. I was with Aaron Seary, who's other attorney, and Al Bigtree and Lynn Redwood, sat across from the table from him and Francis Collins and the other public health leadership. And I said to him during that meeting, you've been publicly saying that there are safety studies done on these vaccines prior to getting a license. They say that there are none. There was an observer from the White House at that meeting. So he was under some pressure to defend his record. And he said, well, there are studies. And I said, can you show us any? And they made a show of looking through a series of briefcases and files to try to find what they were looking for. And they said, we'll send them to you. And of course, they never sent them. And at the end of that meeting, I was in the hallway and Tony Fauci came up to me and took me aside and had a quiet conversation with me out of earshot of everybody else. And he said, I want to commend you for what you're doing. Um, it's important work and you keep us all on our toes. So thank you. And that was his message to me. You can be the judge of how earnest he was. Over Christmas vacation, I got a call from somebody in President-elect Donald Trump's office asking me to come meet with the President-elect the 1st of January. I went in to meet with him at Trump Tower. This was maybe two or three weeks before the, his inauguration. And he asked me to chair and to assemble a vaccine safety committee that would look at the safety of the various vaccinations. And I said that I would be happy to do that. Uh, so March 2017 in the White House, he asked me if vaccines weren't a bad thing because he was considering a commission to look into uh, ill effects of vaccines. And, and somebody, his name is Robert Kennedy Jr., was advising him that vaccines were causing bad things. And I said, no, that's a dead end. That would be a bad thing. Don't do that. And I don't know whether these things are connected, but the president, soon after this announcement occurred, took a million-dollar contribution for his inaugural party from Pfizer, and then chose two of Pfizer's handpicked candidates, Alex Azar and Scott Gottlieb, from the public health agencies, and those gentlemen killed the Vaccine Safety Commission. Question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases, and you will understand why history, the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID, will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with there will be a surprise outbreak. It was the market test. It was laying the groundwork for what they needed to do with the fear-based messages to put everybody on high alert, to actually have everybody start talking about this pandemic. SARS, MERS, bird flu, Zika virus, H1N1, SARS, MERS, Ebola outbreak, Zika, bird flu. So we really do have a problem. 
of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way, because you do need both. COVID-19. In terms of safety, we know that this is probably the most toxic medical intervention that has ever been released. Pfizer knew this, the FDA knew this. In the first two months after the release of the Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer were aware of over 1,200 deaths directly related to the vaccine and over 40,000 adverse events. A major milestone in the COVID-19 pandemic. The Pfizer vaccine is now fully FDA approved for people 16 and up. It's the first COVID-19 shot to move out of the emergency use phase. To get the emergency use authorization, they really don't have to release any information about their clinical trials to the public. But Pfizer uniquely got full approval for its Comirnaty vaccine in order to get that they had to make a submission to FDA describing their clinical trials. And that submission, although it's a bare bones submission, there's a lot of interesting information in that submission. We want all the underlying data and Pfizer and FDA have refused to release it. And in fact, when Aaron Siri, who is my colleague, sued Pfizer to get the data, FDA intervened on behalf of Pfizer, and Pfizer has said it doesn't want to release that data for 75 years, and FDA is supporting that position. Here you have the government regulatory agency collaborating with a pharmaceutical company to keep secret the results of clinical trials on a drug that is now mandated to virtually everybody in America for which the company has no liability. So no matter, no matter how grievously you're injured, no matter how reckless or negligent their conduct, you can't sue them. When it comes to boosters, mixing and matching vaccines is likely safe and effective. We've made vaccinations free, safe and convenient. If you're fully vaccinated, you're highly protected. You're as safe as possible. If you get vaccinated, you are protected. You know, the vaccine is safe and effective, safe and effective. It's the narrative which has been perpetuated ad infinitum. And we know that's a complete and utter lie. Even though vaccines, because of the high degree of transmissibility of this virus, don't protect overly well, as it were, against infection. We know from the most recent data, the vaccine actually increases your risk of getting COVID. I mean, that is an astonishing fact. Back in the mid-1950s, Dr. Jonas Salk developed a killed injectable polio vaccine. At first it was widely used, but now it has largely been replaced by the live Sabin vaccine. It has now come to light in the United States that the live virus vaccine for polio does cause the disease itself. And the absolutely positive assertion that the live virus vaccine could be given without risk of paralysis. That statement was made by the American Medical Association in its June meeting of 1961, at a time when 
all of us knew that cases had been occurring. In the Federal Register, honest to God, 1984, um, there is a section that speaking about polio vaccines in which the federal government asserts that any information, whether true or not, which would cause vaccine hesitancy is to be suppressed. Because of the Freedom of Information Act filing, the courts forced Pfizer and the FDA to disclose the full dossier of documents around the Pfizer BioNTech product. And there's a table in there, in that disclosed information that lists many, 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 many adverse events of special interest that are now clearly shown to be associated with the RNA vaccine technologies. In the internal documents, the side effects that Pfizer identified are completely different from the side effects that the CDC discloses, for instance, on its website. It says you may have chills, you may have fatigue, you may have a headache. The Pfizer internal documents show massive thousands of joint pain, like rheumatoid arthritis type crippling joint pain. Another gigantic category is muscle pain myalgia. Thousands of results are neurological disorders, Guillain-Barre, Bell's palsy, multiple sclerosis, encephalitis, thrombocytopenia, lung clots, leg clots, cardiac problems, heart damage, stroke. The internal documents show that the spike protein is toxic and also causing harm. Well, another round of Pfizer documents have dropped. Over 11,000 pages were released. Adverse reactions were more frequent and more severe in younger groups. In May of 2021, Pfizer knew that 35 minors, teenagers, had suffered heart damage within a week after being injected by the mRNA vaccines. But they didn't tell the rest of us. And the FDA issued the emergency use authorization for teenagers in June, a month later, also knowing about the heart damage. But the government didn't tell us, didn't issue a press release about heart damage to minors or young adults till August of 2021, after thousands and thousands and thousands of teenagers and young adults went ahead and got injected and their parents allowed them to or brought them to their doctors to get injected, not knowing that this could damage their hearts. Pfizer received the biggest criminal fine in U.S. history as a part of a $2.3 billion settlement with federal prosecutors for mispromoting medicines and for paying kickbacks to compliant doctors. In the 1990s, they were involved in defective heart valves that led to the deaths of more than 100 people. Amid widespread criticism of high pricing for poor countries, and in particular AIDS medications, Pfizer was sued in a U.S. federal court by Nigerian families who accused the company of testing a dangerous new antibiotic called Trovan on children without parents' consent and using their children as human guinea pigs. In 2004, Pfizer's subsidiary agreed to pay $430 million to resolve criminal charges that it paid physicians to prescribe its epilepsy drug, Neurontin, to patients with ailments which the medication was not approved. Pfizer also had a class action suit with a $60 million settlement over Resolin. 
diabetes medication that resulted in patients dying from acute liver failure. In 2010, a federal jury found that Pfizer committed racketeering fraud in its marketing of the drug. 2012, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission announced that it had reached a $45 million settlement with Pfizer to resolve charges that its subsidiaries had bribed overseas doctors and other healthcare professionals to increase foreign sales. In the U.K., they have been fined nearly £90 million by the U.K.'s competition watchdog for unfair pricing to the NHS after hiking up the cost of an anti-epilepsy drug by two and a half thousand percent million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company is there anything to stop this company or other big drug drug companies from doing it again Pfizer says its vaccine for children ages 5 to 11 is 90% effective against symptomatic COVID. Members of the FDA committee agreed the benefits of the vaccine for younger children appear to outweigh the risk. So Moderna's chief medical officer says his company is also developing an Omicron-specific booster that would take two to three months to get into testing and then production. You said Pfizer could do the same 100 days or less. Is that a window that can be narrowed depending on how the, the work goes? Around 60 days on the development, we will have clinical production of the vaccine so that we can go and test it in humans. And then within 95 days, we will have the full results of, uh, of this uh, trial. And Albert Borla, I really appreciate your work and, and your time tonight. Thank you. Anderson Cooper 360, brought to you by Pfizer. Pfizer. Pfizer asked to be compensated for the cost of any future lawsuits. In case of any side effects, Pfizer be exempted from all civil liability. An advocacy group has thrown up more details of what Pfizer does. It has access some confidential contracts of Pfizer. Pfizer is silencing governments. How? Through contracts. These airtight contracts are at the center of everything. Pfizer also gets to decide who will get the shot. They won't be able to sue Pfizer at home. The matter will go to a secret panel of three private arbitrators in New York. This is vaccine terrorism. Until and unless somebody goes to prison, somebody high up goes to prison, and or the company is banned from selling drugs to Medicare or Medicaid, this activity will continue. What we do know, which is truly astonishing, is that if you look at the lot number of the vaccines, is that certain lots of the vaccine are associated with a thousand-fold increased risk of adverse events compared to other lots. Some of the material in the vaccines is completely inert and is a placebo. Some of these vaccines may contain really high concentrations of messenger RNA. We know that they manipulated the, the RNA. They changed the uridine residues. They changed some of the nucleotides. They put caps on each end. So this is a synthetic mRNA, and when patients are injected with this, we have no idea if the same molecule is given to every single patient in the same quantity. So we have no idea what's in these files. I mean, it's truly unprecedented that a physician would inject a patient with a medication that they really don't understand what's in it. At the time, there was very little known about the adverse events. All the publicity was that it was safe and effective, that there were no major adverse events. And there were no hospitalizations or deaths in the individuals who were vaccinated. Well, you now have three highly efficacious vaccines, and there have been no hospitalizations or deaths in multiple countries. Well, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to participate in these international research conferences if I wasn't vaccinated. 
particularly after dose number two, I had life-threatening hypertension. My wife, Jill, heard about this website that listed adverse events by batch. So uh, she looked up the How Bad Is My Batch website and dialed in the batch numbers that I had received. And it turned out that my second dose was a batch that was known to have a very high number of adverse events and deaths based on the VAR system compared to other batches. With the synthetic RNAs, they behave very differently. They're not a natural RNA. They don't degrade rapidly. They stick around for a very long period of time, and we really don't even understand how long or where they go or if they can be taken up again by other cells and still produce protein. None of that was characterized. I speak about this being the largest experiment ever done on human beings at a very fundamental level. We have no understanding of what we've done, and yet we have taken this synthetic molecule that's not really RNA and administered it to global populations. Medical establishment facilitated both the lead up to the Holocaust and the Holocaust. The medical establishment went in lockstep with the government. And the first medical murder victims in Nazi Germany were German infants and children. Their crime was that they were disabled, not perfect. Over a thousand children were medically murdered at hospitals that became murder institutions. It then spread to all children and adults with disabilities to the mentally ill. There were two reasons that they used to justify. It was called T4. One was to cleanse the genetic pool of the imperfect. And the other was to get rid of the economic burden. People don't want to compare the Holocaust to anything else. Why? You've got to go with the truth. And no, we won't see gas chambers. No, we won't see crematoria. They don't need that. Now their weapons are technological. Australia has them already. Canada. If your test results come back positive, you'll need to immediately quarantine in designated government facilities. This is not optional. Now, when this happens in other countries, and it does, we call those facilities internment camps. The Nazis, by the way, didn't call it eugenics, they called it hygiene. It's always somehow with cleansing, but they're talking about murder. Governments today and totalitarian forces now have an arsenal of new technologies that give them the capacity to control human behavior that was unavailable to totalitarian regimes in the past. The intention of every totalitarian regime in history has been absolute control of human behavior, of descent, of human thought, of human movements. But today we have a bunch of new technological innovations that makes that more and more difficult. I don't know why they think I'm interested in knowing, you know, people's locations. That one I still have to laugh at. 
This man is also a prime investor in EarthNow LLC, a company promising to deploy a large constellation of advanced imaging satellites that will deliver real-time, continuous video of almost anywhere on Earth. I believe we should create what I call the GERM team. Uh, GERM stands for Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization. This group is full-time. The cost of this team is significant. It's over a billion a year uh, to support the 3,000 people who would be on this team. The work would be coordinated by the WHO. And a very important thing is that, like firefighters, a GERM team would do drills. When you want to have quick response, practice is key. You need to know if, say, a lot of people show up with a, a new kind of cough, that's when germ needs to look into it and say, is this an outbreak? Is there a new pathogen here? Disease monitoring, that's germ. They'd have more in the lower income countries. You know, for example, we could have germ members, say an epidemiologist working out of the Africa CDC office uh, in Abuja. They want to think that Bill is a great guy and he's over in Africa trying to save as many lives as possible. So propagandists have to know how to translate issues into language that will push people's buttons in a positive way. And we can see that Bill Gates has been schooled in how to come across as uh, friendly and nice uh, when he's nothing of the kind. Well, it so happens that Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and Mark Zuckerberg have invested in a startup called Biomilk, which uses mammary cells and donated breast milk to create lab-grown baby formula. This is yet one more example of an intervention to disrupt the way the human body used to be self-sufficient. You know, disrupt human immunity, disrupt human gestation, just disrupt human lactation and make human beings dependent on outside forces really for their immune system or really for their ability to feed their children. Both uh, myself and Dr. Fauci have uh, featured in conspiracy theories. You know, like one says that Dr. Fauci is trying to make money off of these vaccines. One of the secrets that they've tried to keep hidden at NIH are these direct payments from the pharmaceutical industry, not only to the agency, but to hundreds, if not thousands of scientists and officials within those agencies for royalty payments for the drugs that that agency has partnered with the pharmaceutical company to develop and market. The agency has become a marketing arm for Big Pharma. And they don't want the American public to know that is the ultimate object of this terrible devolution. And, you know, one of the big emblems of that devolution are these payments that are being made to Tony Fauci, to his deputies, to his PIs, and to his scientists. We sent FOIL requests, we made inquiries, and NIH just stonewalled us. The NIH is in the process, you know, in the midst, as you know, of, you know, awarding grants for research. And the idea that scientists may be benefiting financially from the work that they've done at NIH, that creates to me the appearance of a conflict of interest. We are following the Bayh-Dole Act when it comes to that. So you're saying it's federal law that allows the NIH to do that? That's correct. 
leaders of the organization have received royalty payments. I, I think, Dr. Fauci, you've said that you've donated your royalties to charities, is my understanding. What strikes me is you're in a position where you're saying certain drugs don't work. They don't like ivermectin because they aren't benefiting from that royalty, or they don't like hydroxychloroquine. If the agency is awarding who the beneficiary of the grant, who's doing the trial, and there are somehow finances involved, that there's a financial benefit that could be accrued if someone's uh, you know, patent or invention is considered valid. Do you not see that as a conflict? Well, we came to understand that Fauci's financial records are buried deep in a government bunker, and they're so sensitive to the National Institutes of Health that they are defying the Freedom of Information Act. When we sued the National Institutes of Health on our Freedom of Information Act request for the Fauci financials, on discovery, we learned that the National Institutes of Health have declared war on transparency. They're past due on 633 Freedom of Information Act requests. They're being sued at least 35 times over those requests. On the production of third-party royalty payments subject to our lawsuit, NIH provided top-line numbers, so we can estimate over the last decade just how much money flowed from third-party payers, think pharmaceutical companies, back to NIH and its scientists. And that's nearly $350 million over the course of that decade. And we can see the scientists' names. There's 1,800 scientists that received payments. Here's what we can't see. We can't see the payment amount to the individual scientist. It's been erased, it's been blacked out and redacted. We can't see the name of the third party payer, think pharmaceutical company. That's been erased and redacted. And furthermore, they've redacted the patent number and the license number, so we don't know why the royalty is being paid. We don't know what the invention was. That information has not been made public. And I think sooner rather than later, you should make that information public because Right now, I think the NIH has a credibility problem. Since the start of the pandemic, I wrote six columns out of 92 in regard to Dr. Anthony Fauci. When I wrote three in succession from December of 2021 through January of 2022, those were the last columns I ever wrote at Forbes. The National Institutes of Health, they came down hard on Forbes. Forbes came down hard on me. I told the truth and Forbes terminated my column. There are so many countless witnesses who came out of that house of Fauci who speak to all of a sudden I lost everything. All of a sudden I, I lost my job. Nobody would speak to me. I was blacklisted because of one quote I gave, one paper I wrote. To call Dr. Fauci America's doctor is such an outrageous misnomer. He's a shyster. He is a man without scruples of any kind. I've met uh, Dr. Fauci on many occasions, and I've seen him do damage to my industry through my entire professional career. He should be charged with the crimes that he's been responsible for, which go back to the HIV era. He did some terrible experiments in Africa. None of the rules seem to apply to him, and they never have. It's elements of 
totalitarian societies, and it also has this theme of mafioso velvetness to it. He's essentially a mafia don who runs all three agencies. He rules science and the practice of medicine. He's resulted in the death of hundreds of thousands of patients. When you hear something like this, to be honest, do you ever just think, you know, I'm out of here. This is, <laughs> this is enough. I, I don't need this. It's like in The Godfather, nothing personal, strictly business, you know? <laughs> in 2020, Dr. Fauci approved a $420,000 grant to do an experiment in which baby beagles were bitten to death by flies. They actually put a cage on the beagles' heads and filled the cage with flies so the beagle couldn't escape them and, and kill them. And whatever the scientific merits of that experiment, there are boundaries where we hope that government officials will say, Americans don't do that. Abraham Lincoln said about our country, America is a great nation because we're a good nation. Throughout our history, our you know, most visionary and beloved leaders have said, we aren't going to do that. Washington said, we don't torture people, even if it would give us an advantage in war, because that is inconsistent with our values. And we hope that our leaders, people who've been in office for 50 years and are regarded as templates for American government, would respect those kind of boundaries. The NIH and all of its satellites, people don't realize these organizations are part of the U.S. military. They function as military organizations, the NIH and every organization under the HHS umbrella. So these notions that we have, that there should be freedom of scientific expression and discourse and dialectic. That's our fantasy. American science really falls under the direct command of the U.S. military. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor, tinkering in his shop, has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. Partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. That speech was given on my birthday, and I remember that because it was right before my uncle's inauguration, and I would say it's the most important speech in American history because it was warning against the domination and the loss of our democracy to a military-industrial complex, and he specifically cited the rise of the 
health bureaucracy as a threat to democracy and to American values. 23 countries and the World Health Organization have backed the idea of an international treaty to help deal with future health emergencies like COVID-19. In May of 2022, the World Health Organization announced a new initiative in which all of the major nations in the world would sign on to a treaty that would give the World Health Organization this kind of centralized control over all future pandemics. And the sovereign nations would relinquish at least some of their sovereign capacity to develop their own strategies for dealing with pandemics or for recognizing the existence of a pandemic. So now you have the World Health Organization that wants to give itself the ultimate authority to declare a pandemic anytime it wants with very few objective criteria, and then to dictate mandates and protocols for that all the other nations have to obey. And I think that's really disconcerting. And the fact that all of these countries, including the American government, are taking this seriously and not ridiculing it is frightening for our democracy. That is the goal, that's the power grab, to move all decision-making and all money to this One Health framework. There will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. Together, we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, detect, assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. The 194 member states of the World Health Organization resolved to work together towards a new international instrument for pandemic preparedness and response. This treaty involves um, some rather concerning propositions, and this includes that um, that the WHO would have the authority in, in the event of another pandemic, uh, who would decide what the disease is called, how you would measure the disease, how you would test for the disease, the safety standards of the vaccines, or whatever treatments they decide. It could be that these vaccines get developed in 100 days, which is totally ludicrous. Also, they could decide on who has to have them, whether they get mandated and so on, which is totally unacceptable. And, uh, and not to be tolerated. There's been lots of pushback against this by various groups in the United States, but that's not why the WHO failed to establish this treaty in its first go around. It was because of the African countries who also feel their loss of independence. They see the WHO being funded by Bill Gates and, you know, and you as a, as a U.S. interest, and they don't want to be told by the U.S. what to do. And so they're the ones that have pushed back on this and basically they're the ones that are saving our national independence i think we actually have some video of some of these african states standing up and making this point uh, during that assembly let's just take a look at this the amendments need to be considered as a holistic package and the process should be transparent inclusive credible and consensual and with full respect for the sovereignty of member states with uh, while pursuing our collective action the African region shares the view that the process should not be fast-tracked by the amendments of Article 59 or the Technical Adjustment Amendment of Articles 55, 61, 62, and 63, 
at this health assembly. Namibia aligns with the statement delivered by Botswana. Republic of Tanzania aligns with the statement delivered by Botswana. But now the news is spreading like wildfire and people are saying it's time to take our power back. They know that the politicians are largely captured and corrupt. The conflicts of interest regarding WHO and Big Pharma couldn't be more clear. You know, the Wellcome Trust, uh, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, all of them in this one incestuous cesspool. Wait. Wait. Stop the Who campaign has really been to raise awareness of this power grab and provide resources for individuals um, to address it and to campaign to stop the WHO pandemic treaty, which would be confirmed in 2024. It's very important that communities become resilient because we're at a a stage in our history and human evolution where we are at at risk of catastrophes of a variety of of natures, that there's another infection coming. It could be that there's mass injury from the COVID-19 vaccinations. could be that there's financial collapse, uh, political or environmental upheaval that leads to a new emergency situation. We testified in Tennessee. Tennessee has prohibited doctors being reprimanded for prescribing off-label drugs. And remarkably, the governor in Tennessee has signed a bill which allows ivermectin to be dispensed over the counter. So that is a major breakthrough. There are similar bills in New Hampshire, similar bills in Missouri. So I think a number of states that are open-minded enough can actually see what's going on. Uh, So I think the dam wall is breaking. There are honest people who have heart and humanity, who understand the science, who will stand up against this tyranny. We founded Children's Health Defense in 2011, at that point, it was called World Mercury Project, and the mission of the organization was to end toxic exposures to children and the chronic disease epidemic that was uh, associated with those exposures. Of course, the regulatory agencies do not want to look at this issue because the entities that are creating these toxic exposures are politically powerful. They're pharmaceutical companies, they're agricultural chemical companies, they're companies like Monsanto and Cargill and the big processed food companies like McDonald's, uh, the sugar industry, and many, many others. And they all have uh, almost insurmountable political clout with Congress and therefore with the regulatory agencies. And I'm accustomed to reading science. It's part of what I do for my job. I need to be able to read science critically. In other words, to find the problems and, and understand the methodologies, the statistical protocols that the researchers use in order to arrive at their conclusion. I brought hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits. Almost all of them involve some kind of scientific controversy. At Children's Health Defense, we have brought lawsuits against the Food and Drug Administration. We've brought lawsuits against New York State. We've brought lawsuits against the state of California. During COVID, our mission has expanded because now it's not only children who are being compelled to get vaccines, it's the whole population. We have not yet sued the NIH, but time will tell.
Dr. Anthony Fauci has just announced that he is stepping down. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top uh, infectious disease expert for nearly a half century, has announced today that he will be retiring in December. The nation's top doctor is making his retirement official and arguably the most famous in America. Well, you know, Rachel, it, it's never really a good time to leave, but you have to leave sometime. Going forward, you really want to choose to listen to those voices that do not have a conflict of interest. The implicit faith in these agencies has to be suspended. They've clearly given demonstrable evidence that they cannot be trusted to truly have the public interest as their primary purpose. Fortunately, a lot of people are starting to wake up. Many people have been double injected and then those many others, of course, have been jabbed beyond that. But there's a large number of people who woke up and refuse to take the additional boosters. And every time you get a booster shot, you're gonna set back your immune system. Your innate immunity is getting messed up by the vaccine. So every time you get a booster shot, it gets worse. To me, that's the most important message. And I, I tell everybody, eat a certified organic diet, stay away from the glyphosate, get out in the sunlight, make sure your vitamin D is high. Very simple things, so eat fruit so you'll have enough vitamin C, you know? Make sure you have foods that contain zinc, because zinc and vitamin C, and then there's even supplements you can take like N-acetylcysteine or liposomal glutathione. You want someone who is not only expert, but transparent, willing to show their data, willing to debate and discuss their data, not issue decrees that this is the way it is and not listen to dissent or be willing to entertain questions or debate. Our website, which is flccc.net, all we do is we give unconflicted expert assessments of the evolving data around multiple therapeutics of multiple phases. And so in COVID in particular, we're a legitimate and, and hopefully helpful resource to folks. Through the World Council for Health, we seek to bring together both science and wisdom and common sense and empower people to take responsibility for their health and to step away from this very fear-based approach to health uh, and recognize that they have choices. Uh, currently, we have more than 150 partner organizations around the world, including Children's Health Defense, and across 50 countries, and we're growing every day. We've recently held the Better Way Conference, which has really consolidated what a better world looks like. This is not a time to be depressed. We don't have the option of depression. It's a kind of luxury to just sink into sadness. This is war, okay? We're under attack. We're under attack by globalist interests and corporate powers that really mean business and that cannot afford to pull back. We've got a tiger by the tail. That being the case, we, we cannot succumb to sadness or Indeed, to pessimism. I mean, I actually believe deeply that they can't succeed at this. It is too perverse. It is too grandiose, too ambitious, too unnatural. Bullies cannot be appeased. It just encourages them to new forms of torture and torment. Every time you say yes, you're getting pushed back to a weaker position. Our job is to go out from here today and reach out to our brothers and sisters, the people who are still hypnotized, and tell them that we are going to fight for their freedom until they're able to fight for it themselves.
shoulder with so many different kinds of people in the trenches and my message to all of them is I'll see you on the barricades 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 you think about number two there babe that was awesome we're gonna let the credits roll because they deserve credit they deserve for that credits for that because that was a great that was excellent i like that it's like part two they they pushed it beyond the book yeah because the book came out a solid year ago and a lot of that information was more was much older. more recent yep. um from part two so like fauci stepping down and um the the better way conference and the things they've done more recently that's uh where they're going yeah more of the where they were going where they came from there was a bunch of stuff in there there was uh we had to take because i wanted to stop it. yeah and i was like nope you can't stop it we'll, uh, go, we'll write it down take notes we'll go we'll we'll take we'll go back to it at the end i also liked that they because you know i'm on the hope and healing kick um I, I i found my hopium pipe again so i really liked that they brought that aspect into it that you I'm know trying to pull it away from her lips folks i apologize <laughs> about that you know a lot of people and i saw someone here say they've you know they've been saying that people here we go clbi i feel like they've been saying people are starting to wake up for over a year it's true they have been because people have been starting to wake up for over is a it? year more and more people wake up every day as they see their friends and fr friends and loved ones and um you know people that they were sheeple with they're either dying or waking up and these people are either the same dying or waking up well i i found i found it interesting if you saw the part uh, they they talked about neurontin um mm -hmm. neurontin is a drug we know a lot of very well um it was a drug i had to take post uh i i want to say it was the final the absolute final of everything like they were never going back into my head again type thing like hey look we're done we're gonna seal you up everything's good to go blah 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 and um after that though i was on this neurontin i had to take it for fuck it was like what two years yeah three years or s s damn near about three years and um it caused like the worst dry mouth and I was horribly tired, like constantly just exhausted, like, holy shit, I'm going to bed. And it was bad because I was like, I just took the drug. It was like, 
I, I know it's wrong and I, I know I can't do anything about it, but Neurontin sucks. It literally, when I had the first opportunity to get the fuck off of it, because they were like, well, we're really worried, worried about you having epilepsy. And I was just like, it ain't going to happen. Don't yeah. worry about it. No, done. I, I, fuck this. Um, and I, I got out of it. Um, I, that was like one of the first things that I can tell you. Neurontin is no joke. It blows. It like completely sucks the life out of you. Any core of life you could possibly have. It blows. Um, uh, alien, uh, was it Alan Godwin's all, uh, a Alan Godwin's, uh, gifted a can. Thank you, sir. Excellent. And, uh, gifted D a can. Nick Sandil. Yep. Thank cookie. you again for the cookie. Cookie. I like, <clears throat> but I, uh, that's one thing I knew about was the neurons and blue balls. Um, and then they said, uh, Lincoln, uh, the treatment of the prisoners and shit, which it, they went back to treatment of prisoners, which I really giggled that they went back to Lincoln. Because if you go back to the civil war, some of the worst prisoner treatment ever committed by U S soldiers at the hands of U S soldiers was during the civil war. Mm-hmm. Like literally we had camps that look like concentration camps where people had been starved on purpose because they were from the Northern States or they were from the Southern States. They were less likely to run if they were hungry and exactly. starving, malnourished, and malnourished and fucking upside and down. Yep. I, I just found all of that. I thought that was hysterical that we went to, well, we're going to act bigger. No, you have no idea. What we do to prisoners, you have no idea. There is a very large window in which we could fuck with a whole lot of people. And there's and nothing do. new under the sun. Um, and then Trump, the who, the pandemic, all of that. Trump calling out the who. Was it really Trump calling out the who? Or was it? us calling out the who because you know the way i look at it if you look at it if you if you conspire to think this way and i know a lot of people are gonna get upset when i say this but if i was building 18 holes of a golf course okay i would want the best dude that I know that knows the grounds of this one area, knows every hill, every ridge, every mound, every dune, knows exactly how everything is the way that it is around there. And I wanted to play as accurate as it is to the environment there. Who do I hire? I don't go hire that punk kid who just graduated high school last year. No, no, I don't even hire the kid that just graduated from Virginia Tech and has an advanced botany degree and the, the herbal growth of grass and the formulation of grass and grass seed. I don't even hire that fuck stick kid. No, I hire the stupid retard that's been cutting grass for fucking 30 years down here and knows exactly what it takes to make the grass grow. Why? Because the motherfucker's been doing it for 30 years. 
who best than to hire than to do that job? You don't overpay for that. Yeah, so why going to be cheaper than both those kids that just graduated with some kind of a degree? Why would you fucking at the same time, why would you pay for that coming out of college when it comes to biomedical sciences or virology studies? Because you know you're just getting a malleable retard that is eventually going to end up being the poster child to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. But yet we do it. We do it over and over and over again. And yet, where did it all start? Where did the vaccine start? I ask this question because this is very important for you to answer honestly and truthful to yourselves. The COVID vaccines? Where did the COVID vaccine start? 2005. Uh, no. Well, I mean, honestly, that was when the program started, but when did the COVID vaccine start? Uh, they started as veterinary. They were initially developed as veterinary vaccines they were, in 2005, but and then they switched over in 2012 to human testing. Correct. And um, Warp Speed brought them forward. Warp Speed, the dumbest two words ever yeah, brought, brought together. Later brought them forward as a vaccine component of an mRNA-based vaccine that one Donald J. Trump stood directly behind, stood, said, and screamed from the top of his lungs that the vaccine was safe. One more time, be honest with yourself. That's where it started, folks. It started with Donald J. Trump screaming that the vaccine was safe. Okay? Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with ourselves. Now, where does that leave us? Is it any better that Joe Biden now is there? No, fuck. No, no. it leaves us with genocide. But democide is Donald Trump who we thought he was? Mass murder. Is Donald Trump who we thought he was? Uh, who did we think he was? What happens in 2024? I don't know. Do we vote again for Donald J. Trump? I don't know. Because it's going to be again. Folks, if you're listening to us, guess what? You're part of us. What's You're our option? generation. It's a, I, what's the other option? You're our generation. We have been the generation that kept quiet like our fathers did. Kept our mouths shut. Why? Because our fathers did. We never talked about this stuff. Why? Because that's what our fathers did. We don't do it. Why? And if you do, if you're like me, you're conspiracy theorists. You're crazy. You're legit insane. You're batshit nuts. If you, your parents listened to me, they would tell you, oh, that guy's a fucking idiot. Your, I know that guy. I know his type. Your dad listened to you and laughed his ass off. He's a fucking And idiot. then he called you and said, uh, if that was, if I, if I'd done that at your age, I'd be in jail. So, so folks, this is no joke. What do we do? This started with, Trump. Uh, Captain Superaid says, as much as I'd like to see a DeSantis Trump ticket or a Trump DeSantis ticket, they'd have to forego Florida's electoral court electoral college count. Not necessarily true because Trump also owns property in New Jersey. He so could he could Jersey technically change his residency, overnight. his permanent residency over to New Jersey. And yeah, he's there we got, go. he's got permanent, he's got permanent residency in almost four States. Yeah. He, he could can, be a Vegas resident too. Yeah. So, I mean, quite honestly, he doesn't have to be Florida. Florida's just where he chose after because he thought he was going to play golf a lot. And I guess he did. But whatever. Hey, folks, again, you're right. We, Cisco. My grandfather always told me to vote for the crook with the most ethics. Yeah, that's true. They're all crooks. They, you're absolutely right. That's 100 percent accurate. 
Oh, so shit, Jesus Christ. Sometimes the, sometimes the question is- That's what you, my dad told me. Do you want the bigger crook? Which crook do you want? Or do you want the smaller crook? Because for real, like sometimes you want the bigger crook because they get shit done faster. But they got to have good ethics. So- See, my problem is, is that's never true. You never find the two- It's a- They coincide. They're, you you lose one side to gain the other. We, we it's need, true we in need, anything. We need look, the godfather to be president. Look, no, it's not. Listen, folks, this is like anything else, okay? For instance, you don't want my kind here in the civilized world carrying a gun. Why? Because people like me, we don't stop. You don't understand. When you push certain buttons on us, you wave a flag and you say, hey, shit has to happen. My type of people are the people that go make it happen. We find a way. Where there's a will, there is a way. We find, you tell us to go through the hole. We don't go over the, you tell us to go through a wall. We don't go over the wall. We don't go around the wall. We don't go under the wall. We go through the wall. We find a way. We don't stop though. That's the problem. Once you get us going, you, we're the last ones you want to, you don't want to hold us up. You don't want to hold us up until we've run our course. You worry, you all here worry about well, what's coming, what's next. I mean, are they going to take us out? Is that what, what we see? Is this the game plan? Yes. Yes. Part of it. Yes. But the other part of it is they're waiting for you to push that button where we go. Think about what they said at the end of that movie. See at the barricades. What do you think that means? See you at the barricades. They're waiting for us to push the button on people like me. That's what they're waiting for. That hasn't happened yet. And they're really angry. They've tried. Look at everything they've tried. Yeah. Look at all this shit. Yeah. Think about it. We still haven't popped off. We still haven't lost our minds yet. No, no. We're still sitting calmly waiting. Yes, we've been keeping you Why? under wraps. Because, no, oh, no, no, no. No, you're not keeping me anything. Because I haven't seen the reason yet to go. The reason is not there yet. I have yet to see an actual threat to our physical democracy yet. I'm not saying that there isn't out there. I'm just saying that we have yet to see one. And my people are watching very closely. The Phoebe's backed off when they were supposed to come here. There's a lot of shit going on right now, folks. There's a lot of things at play, that a lot of shit that I, I can't really, really talk about. But what I can tell you is that there's a lot of people that are working at this that are not allowing certain things to happen that are supposed to be happening right now, supposedly. Go into your local hospitals, please. I beg of you. Me and Vila noticed this the other day. We went in for my hand. Mm-hmm. We weren't asked to put a mask on. We didn't have to wear a mask. We were there the whole time not wearing masks. They did ask you, though, if you'd gotten your jabs and which ones. I, it, they asked me if I got my jabs and which ones, and I refused to answer. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, not a problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was- It was fairly painless. But it was fairly full too, because they put us like. It was weird. There was a lot of people there. Kind of in a like back hallway in a yeah. in a like it oh oh an overflow triage. Area. After after I got my films done and everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it was weird, but like we were in a hospital. I mean, it didn't not take that long for an emergency no. room. It was four and a half hours. Standard emergency room visits six hours, so it wasn't that long. Um, but yeah. But you know, this is just nothing new. We, we we're we're in the same. Where do we want our shit? Do we want our shit up front or we want to figure out our shit later? Captain Superaid says uh, CBDC is on the way and with it, the digital slave collar. Yeah. They're already here, honey. I mean, think about it. It's not like the military sends us a paper check or cash or silver coins every month as your retirement pay. They send us an electronic transfer into our bank account. I can take cash out, yes. And I think, with the CBDCs, I think you'll still be able to use, they're not going to get rid of cash right away. They can't. It's going to take them. Yeah. There's too many people qu- like me. Quite folks. a long time to phase that out, but they're just, they're just giving it a, a formal name. Uh, I'd say probably what 95% of transactions are already done digitally right now. Guys, if you guys, think about it, every ha, debit hey, card, every credit card wait, transaction, wait just the men guys, how many guys, if you picked up your wallet right now, how many guys have like a hundred bucks in their wallet? How many? I, I'm just asking. I, I do it all the time. I, I have I always have $100. I don't know what it is about having $100 in my wallet. Something about having $100 cash in your wallet. Like my mother used to tell me all the time, there's two things you never leave home without. You never leave out home without clean underwear and $100 in your wallet. And the clean underwear is if you're ever in an accident That's and shit goes absolutely sideways Which doesn't and you're unconscious sense. and now you're butt naked because at least you didn't crap your pants if you were in an accident or if you did then they know there's something else wrong. crap your pants anyway so no shit. it doesn't matter if your underwear is clean or dirty but the anyway. hundred bucks though is just in case you're really fucking drunk and you end up somewhere and you have no idea how to get home and just get you home you at least have some cash to get you home so i i don't know it's something i've just always done i've always had a hundred dollars cash in my wallet i don't know why just something I've always done. When you had a hundred dollars, always had to have a hundred dollars cash in my wallet and normally just sits there, collects dust. It doesn't do anything. That's not true. Unless we go out or we do something, kids ask me for something. We go to the the festival. The little one needs money for fucking shaved ice at school or whatever it is, you know, God knows what, I mean, then it's helpful, but yes, I, I normally just have it, you know, but if you do that, you're like me. We are the problem because we still use handheld currency. We are not digital dollars yet. You're not a digital dollar. You still identify money physically because like I do. I'm pretty sure that hookers take cash app these days. I'm just saying. Actually, I know they do. <laughs> How do you know that? Never mind. I don't want to ask. Good. Don't ask. <laughs> There are things that happen in Vegas that stay in Vegas. Vegas. Yes. Oh, anyway. I I personally like cash too. I don't like, um, I tell my customers, matter of fact, like if you're in the service work, you understand this because we all know, like when I go to a customer and the customer tells me he's going to pay with a fucking credit card, I'm like, seriously, dude. I'm like, you really want the government stealing that money from you? Well, and on top of that, especially small businesses or, you know, almost. I I was like, look, dude, we turn around. We add 3% to your bill just because we know that the 
credit card companies going to charge us 3% for running this transaction. So we charge you 3% in advance and we tell you ahead of time that the reason we're doing this is because we ain't paying that fucking charge. Yep. And since you're getting a break from us by us doing the job at your house, you're going to endure that charge. But people that don't have the cash on hand would rather pay the 3% extra and pay with a credit card because they're going to pay it off in who knows 30 when. years anyway. Yeah. But that's the difference between a lot of that's That's what changes this whole thing up. When you do shit in cash, folks, cash, I tell you what, my cash customers. Yep. Tell you what, they always get better service. And we always agree upon stuff a lot differently. I can tell you right now, you deal in cash with any service guy that comes to your house to work on anything. I can tell you right now, there's a lot more business being talked when you're talking cash, especially if both sides come prepared. So I'm just, just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. And uh, you're right, Kevin, to raise the cash price at the gas pump is a hidden benefit. So it can be. Yeah. If again, if, done if right. you know how much money to put in your tank, yeah. because otherwise it's a fucking pain in the ass. So. You really got to know. Like where you're at, or if you just have 20 bucks to put in your tank, yep. then, you know, you pay cash because you're going to get more out of it. You save 10 cents a gallon or whatever it is. Um, that's a, that's quite a lot when it's, you know, five bucks a gallon and you you only have 20 bucks to put in your tank. You know, I remember when that used to be the standard, even before with, uh, with Obama, you remember when we used to go to Kroger or we'd use our Kroger Kroger number, our points points number, and we get like 10 cents a gallon off. Well, and it was like two ninety six. It was almost $3 a gallon, but it was, it was still hovering about the two ninety somewhere in there, but we'd always get like 10 cents off and it would always be like two ninety two for us whenever we'd fill up. And I'd always do it before I went back to North Carolina. Their gas 10 cents higher than everyone else because, because they know they're going to get that. Most people just redeem their hundred points and get the 10 cents off. So Yeah. Um, I like to redeem it when we lived, now we live closer to Publix, which is too bad. I mean, Kroger's not far away, but you know, it's that instant gratification convenience thing again. I'd rather drive 10 minutes to Publix than 20 minutes to Kroger. Um, but I, you know, I still, I redeem a thousand Kroger points and get a dollar off. They don't like that. Yeah, no, not at all. But not when you start using now, max pound points. Now they put a limit on it. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, it's like a... a a fifty or a hundred dollar limit or something like that. When you redeem, uh, when you like redeem that. over a certain number of points, there's yep. a limit to how much gas you can put in your tank. So, see, I would be fucked because I have the extended range tank on my truck, so yep. I'd be fucked. Yeah, fuck that shit. Anyway, all right. Well, anyway, time to go make meatloaf. Yes. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow night. 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5.45, uh, the lounge starts, yep. as uh, la- lovely Liana would say. Hopefully, Liana will be on in the morning, and we can watch her show. Yes. That would be fantastic. So uh, At 9.30 tomorrow. Yeah, at 9, 9.15, Or 9.05 or whatever, um, when she starts. On, I think my Fox alarm's hole. set for 9.05. Yep. So hopefully, she's on tomorrow. So Yep. Hopefully, Liana Wilbert is on tomorrow. Yes, so, that would be outstanding. That would be fantastic. 
Uh, either way, happy Halloween, uh, because we will, oh, we were we not, not going to be We will not be here tomorrow. We will That's not be right, here tomorrow. That's right, because it's Halloween. It's Halloween. We're taking the kid trick-or-treating. That's right. Yes. So happy Halloween to everybody. Yes. happy Halloween, everyone. Um, enjoy. Uh, we will be back on November 1st. Yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday. At 6 p.m. Eastern Standard. You got it. 5.45 for the lunch. So for the lunch. No yes. show tomorrow, because it's Halloween. Kids got to go trick-or-treating. That's yep. important. We had to go carve com- pumpkins. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you all need to go get ready for Halloween. Yeah. Um, all Halloween. Hal- we might actually jump on for maybe a quick hour. We might. Yeah, do a quick we wouldn't hour. do the foxhole, though, because we wouldn't be on. We won't be on red pills because it'd be. Yeah. It'd be a little bit later. It might be. Yes. Yeah. But we might jump on Twitch and do like an hour or something and, uh, tomorrow night some point just to say hi. Yeah. And just to celebrate with y'all. We'll see the holiday. So keep an eye on those. It'd be it'd be everywhere, but but uh, red pills. So, yes. Yeah. So any, everywhere but uh, pilled and foxhole. So you guys would have to keep an eye on your Twitch account. We we do love you too much, CLB. Plus, if we don't, if we miss a day, it gets so backed up. Yeah, it does. It really does. We got to so, get out there and say something. Yeah. Exactly. Even if we're dressed as retards, as your son likes to say, you do love to hear yourself talk. What are we going as tomorrow night? Oh, that's domestic right. Domestic terrorists. Yeah, that's right. I yes. forgot all about that. We're wearing okay. our domestic terrorist t-shirts to go trick or treating tomorrow. Yeah. I might. I'm thinking about humping around a rifle. It's going to be funny. Be funny. Oh. I mean, domestic terrorists humping around a real rifle. What's wrong with that? What can go wrong there? Right. I'll just have a giant dog. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't pull me off my feet and drag me across the road. Me too. Oh, Okay. All right. So either way. All right, y'all. Uh enjoy tomorrow. We yep. will uh well, oh well, shit. Just a little I, you know what I minute. think I I don't think I ever set up the outro. No? No. Okay, well set set it up real quick. All right. You're gonna have to talk while I do it. Because it takes just a minute. Because it's a little different. Zeph Griffin says you have to get up with Salty Cracker. That will be a blast. I've not listened to Salty Cracker, though I've I've heard about him. Um, but I, I haven't, I haven't actually listened to that one yet. I'll give him a listen. I actually saw him pop up on my Odyssey when I went to set up the stream. We've had the account for a while. I just haven't posted to it and now we're streaming on Odyssey. So, um, if you guys are on Odyssey, Patriot Party Pod, while you do that, I'll, uh, I'll run down the, uh, our affiliate sponsors one more time. How's that? So, yeah. Okay. Um, so you guys know what's coming. You got to prepare for the future. My Patriot supply right now is still having a huge sale. Um, the lowest price on three months worth of food, um, in years. So go to defiantprep.life. That is our affiliate link for my Patriot supply and go get your prep there. And of course, uh, freshmouth.life for your fresh mouth nano silver toothpaste, um, defiant silver dot life for Dr. Kirk Elliott, but you can just find all those links at our new website, patriotpartypod.com, where you'll find a link to all of our channels as well as, uh, our new merchandise store. So go check it out. We have the new Patriot Party podcast logo on merchandise. We have the original Patriot Party of the United States of America logo on merchandise as well. Um, everything from, uh, t-shirts and hoodies and hats and bags, um, teddy bears, everything, literally. I, I, 
yeah, water bottles. Um, I, I had fun yesterday. Yes. A couple t-shirts with mixed sayings on them. Yes. They, we they, have missionary quotes yeah, on we'll there. Have, we'll have more um, of those coming We have out, more so. coming because we have to actually make some of them into pictures and yeah. put them on. So, so yeah, check out uh, patriotpartypod.com. Go yes. check out the website. You'll uh, you can get all of our channels and um, coffee cups, yeah. travel mugs. I had an idea for another water coffee bottles. cup too that I'm gonna I'll That's do yeah. tomorrow. It'll be fun. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so go check it out. PatriotPartyPod.com. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for the Mick and V Lynn. So all right. Well, anyway. y'all have a wonderful evening. We'll talk to you later. Good night, folks. Thanks for watching. Good night, y'all. Queen